to Game Brain, a board game podcast about our gaming group. I'm your host, Tom Donnelly. Maddie is trying to solo mode civilization. This is round seven, turn three, and I've got the enthusiastic gamer Ben with me for the second week in a row, this time in the guest host seat. How you doing, Ben? Hi, wait, I thought I was the opinionated gamer. Am I wrong? Did I forget my own title? No. Oh, no, you are the, opinion, you are the opinionated <laughs> gamer. The enthusiastic Rewind. gamer. I mean, I'm enthusiastic too. The enth- no, Don't the enthusiastic gamer is Matt. Wow. Oh, wow. We can we can start this over, wow. guys. I don't want to start it over. No. Warts and all, baby. Shots fired. Warts and Shots all. Fired. I'm cool with that. Oh, sorry about that. It's it's been a long quarantine. Let's just say that. <laughs> it really has been. Ben, how you doing? You know, I'm great. I'm just uh, I'm sitting here in my apartment over Skype um, and I'm just, you know, one thing that I love about podcasting is the moment you hit record and then everyone decides to do construction in the building and on the street at the very same moment. Like that's just, you know, it's just amazing when things can work out that way. Uh, and of course, you heard- so if you hear any drilling, by the way, if you hear any drilling or strange construction noises, that's on my that's on my end, everyone. I apologize. Or the drilling could just be Paul. Yes, my brother from another mother, the Game Breaker, is with us as well. How you doing, Paul? I'm doing great. I'm hopped up on donuts, and we'll see what effect they'll have on the podcast. <laughs> Paul is with me live because uh, being a family member, we are sort of quarantining together as a, a, as a family to some degree. We, we uh, get together for family dinners, and we both... Uh, been recently tested for COVID, and he brought sidecar donuts. And uh, my my verdict is, you gave me the best first. You should have given me the best <laughs> third, right? Two of them were just normal donuts, and they were fine. But they were they were good, but they weren't amazing. But that first one, oh, I, I need you chasing. The, what was the, it? The high. Holy what was the first one? cow! It was the strawberries and cream. Strawberries and cream brioche style donut, and oh wow! There's, I have this weird thing that this is I, I mean you know I'm relatively new to the podcast so here's like learn about Ben a little bit um I actually hate pretty much all berries strawberries blueberries raspberries they actually make me want to throw up it's so strange and it's terrible really? because I like to imagine that someday I would be a guest judge on top chef or iron chef and I feel like I can't be now because I hate a whole category of food yeah you you, you couldn't so um what is life like you, without joy? That's my question uh, for you. I, you know, I, I don't know. To me, <laughs> to me, a joyless life is just is just life. Well, Ben, do you ever watch Chopped? You know, with I a, do. Yeah, of so course you know, he does. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and so you know, Scott Conant, right? That's his name. Uh, he hates raw onions, and everyone, oh no, on, a, on occasion will try to slip a raw onion in, like a raw red onion, to go like, oh, I'm going to change your mind. Every time he goes like, I see nope. these, these are raw onions. You know, um, yeah, and so that's, right, that's gonna be you. That's aggressive. <laughs> they wow. try slippy berries, <laughs> and they go like, "What do you think?" He goes, "I think this is crap." Did you put berries in it? <laughs> oh man! I once, I once actually, oddly enough, I was for some back in like my heavy blogging days. You know, back <laughs> I used to like blog about food quite a bit, and uh, I I somehow got invited to be a judge for the Southwest Regional Barista Competition, <laughs> um, <laughs> which. Which is like you know you ever you ever see those stories that they you just they sort of appear in the oddly enough column once a year like so and so won barista best barista in the world, well the Southwest Regional Barista Competition folds up it starts at Southwest Regional, and then there's like a larger regional and then it becomes national and then it goes to international right so now, is the I was judging a judge based on, on lower level is the judging based on taste or is it on how quickly they make a coffee it is. Or what? 
it, it's it's actually it's so involved it's ridiculous like i had to go through so much training for what i thought would be just like a fun lark lark mm-hmm. um and so uh but one of the it. things is, is that <laughs> the barista what'd you say you could have larped it <laughs> I, I was larping my barista experience it was, a lar- it was a larp larp but um, I had to, the baristas had to make an espresso drink, a cappuccino drink, and then a freeform drink, which was like anything they wanted. And I was deathly afraid the entire time that I was going to be served some sort of weird blueberry espresso. And that was my entire fear the entire weekend. But luckily, everyone, I'm proud to announce I survived. No blueberry espressos. Ben, your mission is to get Alfred a job doing that. That is, he is the most fruit fruit really? coffee person I've ever met. He is, he is hardcore. He dragged us all over Japan to, <laughs> to these like, uh, I hear this is the third best coffee in the prefecture. And I'm like, oh, this, oh. <laughs> this one's made that, by you a know, robot. That's why I took, that's why I, I took up the assignment, by the way, because when it was offered to me at that point, I actually didn't really drink coffee, but, um, I took it because I was like, you know what? I can now hold this over everyone's heads uh, because since I'm like the coffee newbie with all my friends, I can say, well, as a judge of the Southwest Regional Barista <laughs> Competition, and to this day, I still do that, especially because we had to go through a training of learning how to taste it. And I'm you certified to announce you, you're that certified. I did my learning. I'm sorry? You're certified. <laughs> you have, you have yes, training. certified. Yes, and uh, I I did my certification under the current world champion barista. So I I just I I mean I just like really I I use that for many many I, I continue to use it. I, let's not lie. I'm like using it at this moment as we speak. <laughs> this has been Paul Baldwin's Coffee Talk. Uh, next yeah, up, Paul a question Baldwin. from next up a question from the uh, the internet. Uh, Paul, can a dog drink coffee? No, a dog cannot drink coffee. Uh, we're going to move on to talk about board games. And this week, we're going to talk about the 2018 release, question mark, question mark, question mark, Smartphone Inc. by Ivan Lashin uh, that a lot of us have been waiting for for a long, long time. And, uh, and we're going to dive into a discussion about economies in games, economic games, other games, and, and how economies can, you know, the, the width and breadth of the experience, I think, is, is kind of what we're going to look at. Would you say that's, that's basically what we're looking at, Ben? Sure. Yes, absolutely. Cool. And honestly, I, and, and also some of our favorite economic games, too, along with that. Big time. Big time. But first, let's talk about this week's game night. Ben, what have you been playing this week? Um, I got uh, to play a bunch of games. Um, I got to play some Terraforming Mars, which is always fun. Um, uh, I I got to play Barrage uh, again, which I hadn't played in a few months, and it reminded nice. me just how much I absolutely love that game. It is so good. It's amazing. Um, and and uh, recently, uh, a review came out that um, uh, said, you know, just just beware. This game is. You know, it's really mean and it's really unforgiving and one misstep and you're out. And I kind of want to just let the audience know sort of a dissenting opinion. I actually don't think it's that mean. I think it's cutthroat. I don't think it's mean. I actually do think it's like if, if something goes wrong, you can pivot 
and uh, and and I've seen that happen successfully many many times. So I just want to put that out there too, in case maybe you were turned off by that assessment. Paul um, and I are staring then, at each other knowingly right now. Uh, <laughs> ben, you've been playing Age of Steam pretty heavily for the last two weeks, correct? Yes. That's the only reason you don't think it's completely cutthroat. Is <laughs> because coming off of Age of Steam, well, no. you're like, oh, this isn't that bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that cutthroat is different than mean. To oh. me, cutthroat is like, okay, like, you know, you're at each other's throats because you need to get that position. You need to do this. You need to do that. But doesn't necessarily mean. Mean to me is like, I feel emotionally broken by something because I just spent the past three rounds building something very special and then in one turn you just like take it all away and that to me feels mean as as opposed to cutthroat which is i've been building towards this one thing and in the process i had to prioritize doing x over y and i just had to hope that the other player wouldn't take advantage of y and unfortunately they did so okay i have to like now think of what my contingency plan is that's cutthroat to me so you're saying you didn't play with paul (laughs) (laughs) well there's that no no. i suppose what it is like i'm not really doing my job (laughs) i i I, what what kind of care bears are you playing with ben because uh, it's certainly the way we play barrage most of the time it's closer to the former than the latter uh anyway what else did you play what else did you (laughs) um and uh the other two games i played uh we i think we talked on the last podcast about city of big shoulders going into alpha so i got i got uh, uh, I got into that alpha pool of testers, nice. so I did um, the uh, the alpha test. I played an alpha test of City of Big Shoulders on Board Game Arena. How's it going? to report it. It's it's great. It's so great. It's actually it's such a great implementation because I really love the 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 game uh, on its own. But there's also a lot of um, a lot of housekeeping in that game. You know, you got personal oh, money, yeah. you got public money or company money. There's just things that you have to keep an eye on. You're constantly making when pay out dividends you're making change all this stuff and the game just sort of does it for you and it's just it's actually really good a few little bugs but i think it was it was shockingly smooth and i'm excited for that to just uh, be fully released on the platform that's gonna be so exciting for the game and for players awesome what platform was it on board game arena, board game arena. Okay, yeah. yeah 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 that's that's fantastic Oh. Yeah, and I also played Automobile for the first time, but I think I'm going to talk about that more when we talk about our economic games. Yes, so you're just you're just going on a, a little Martin Wallace kick right now. I'm on a tear. Oh, he's so good. He's he's he oh wait, and I, one of my and I forgot now. to mention. Yeah, the other game I played, which I played with Paul and most of the rest of the group, was Forgotten Waters. Oh yes, Forgotten Waters. Yes, the birthday game. Yes, I was on a conference with Shanghai and was unable to attend, unfortunately. So we'll talk about that in a second. Paul, what about you? I see uh, a bit of Age of Steam, mm-hmm. uh, Clans, Clans of Caledonia, cool, uh, and uh, smartphoning. I mean, those are the three this week. And cool. I think, uh, I think cool. all of them oh, were, yeah. were, were very successful. <laughs> <laughs> I played Mahjong with the with the family about five times this week, and uh, Mom, our collective mother in law, has been destroying us. She's like, I I don't I don't know if she's doing something we're not doing. I think one of the things is that so American Mahjong, you get this card, and the card is for twenty twenty. Here's the card. It's a way for them to sell you something for five ten bucks, whatever. 
and the card has the permissible combinations that are considered that would be a win, right? You have to get one of these fifty things on this card to do it, and they're uh, grouped into little groups. Like this is consecutive numbers, this is all the same number, this is this, and so on and so forth. Um, so Leia and I have like twenty of the fifty marked off, like we've done them, and I think what it is is that we are purposely trying to steer ourselves towards the ones that we haven't done. And by their very nature, they're probably going to be the harder ones to some degree. And you're also closing yourself off to a lot of opportunities, whereas mom is just going in for the kill. <laughs> she is just, She's playing tournament. She is playing tournament for sure. Um, Smartphone Inc., of course, which we're going to talk about today. Played Elfinlands with the family. Paul lent, lent me Elfinlands. Played it with Mom and Moira and Solea and Aiden and myself. Uh, we took out the blocking tiles. Oh, uh, that's, that's, that's No, you got to do it. You got to do it. And they really liked it. They, they, quite, okay. en, they quite enjoyed that. And, which sounds to me, by your tone, you won. No, but you didn't win. Oh no, 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 no! I was, I was, I was in game facilitator mode. Uh, game facilitator mode is 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 not crush your enemies and see them driven before you and hear the lamentations of the women. That is the make sure everyone is doing okay uh, yes. uh, sort of thing. So, no, there there were so many times where I'm like, oh, Solea, Solea, <laughs> it's so obvious that you need to go here. And if I was just to put a troll there, you would cry. <laughs> I can't yeah, do that to nice. you. So, no, no, didn't do that. But we, we had a great time with it. And then uh, just last night, um, Elder and Alfred and I played a little Kanban EV. Ooh, the, the new, new one. Ooh. The new edition of Kanban, uh, which is uh, almost entirely cosmetic, uh, but beautiful, beautiful, you know, tool, artwork, and just reaffirmed to me that... Um, most people, when they say what their favorite uh, Vidal Asserta game is, they tend to, you know, they tend to go on Mars or Gallerist or that sort of stuff. I think my favorite is Kanban. I, I've said it's this so fun. I've said this before. I think that I think that Kanban is the best game when you put it all together because it's not too. It's complicated, but it's not too complicated. And the interlocking mechanisms, I think, shine particularly well in that game. That's me. And I think and it has a sense And I think humor. there's Whoops, probably... Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Paul. Sorry. By the way, I just have to apologize to you guys because sometimes my Skype, when I start speaking, uh, my Skype sort of like mutes you guys. So if you guys are talking, um, you know, I'll just rail, railroad over you guys because Skype, <laughs> Skype is ceding the floor to me automatically. So I apologize if I just start just totally talking over you. But, you know, quarantine technology, this is what it is. Yeah. Um, I was just going to say that with with Kanban, it has one of my favorite thematic game uh, mechanisms or mechanics of all time, which is Sandra the Supervisor, which is such a fun, silly thing. This, like, <laughs> supervisor, this lady, especially in this age of the Karens, you know, like, that's the whole thing on the internet right now. She's basically the Karen of, of, of board game mechanics. She is And she such just a comes Karen. to your section and berates you. And I think that is just the funniest thing in this crazy heavy game where you sometimes can't you just don't even know what you're doing you're just sort of like i guess i'll make a car i'll do this you just sort of you, you can't sometimes sometimes in that game you just don't know which way is up and then here comes this lady to berate you i think that's just so amazing well that's exactly what paul said while you muted him <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's, it's, uh, well i was thinking like there's a really uh depressing parody game in this <laughs> 
<laughs> I think so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Th- there, there are games like um, there's a game called Power Struggle, uh, which is uh-huh. we, we used to we used yeah. play back in the day. There, there are some workplace games that have a sense of humor about themselves. Greed Incorporated, tremendous sense of humor about itself. There's a a real capitalism cynicism that that pervades some of these games that that, that does a really good job and i think i love satire on games yeah uh, yeah we, we actually talked about that in terms of old school games we talked about that there was more satire in there there was more humor there were more games that were made to press a point to say something as opposed to just be a, mm-hmm. to, to just be a game, and we've lost that a little bit. But games like this, they they do they do a little bit. Anyway, we're going to have a review of Kanban EV coming up. That's going to I think Alfred is going to be uh, reviewing that with me coming up in the short term, and we're looking very much forward to that. Um, let's let's move on. Let's get to the news, shall we? Good evening, Mr. Mr. Alpha, South American. All the ships and clippers at sea. Let's go to press. First up in game news, uh, something I almost don't want to mention. There is a game called Western Empires. <sighs> okay. Finally. There is a game <laughs> called Western Empires. 2019. Mm-hmm. It's about it had, time. Yeah. It, 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 eventually, somebody had to pick that as a theme and make a game about it. Yeah. Uh, no, Western Empires came out in 2019. In reality, it's still not really out in the, in, in the U.S. yet. It's a, a, a Europeans uh, made it. Um. It is the modern interpretation of civilization. So, way back when, there was a game called Civilization by Francis Tresham, same guy who who created the 18xx series of games. Uh, Francis Tresham is an absolute genius. Then, a couple years after that, a a sequel to it uh, was made called Advanced Civilization. Not a sequel, but, you know, sort of an improvement of things. Uh, One of the designers of Advanced Civilization was Jennifer, our Jennifer. This is the game that all of the older time gamers, all of the pioneer gamers, uh, look back to as the great gaming experience of their youth, of their earlier days. It was as good as it could get, and it would take 12, 16 hours. You would spend, you know, you'd, you'd get up in the morning, you'd play until late night. It was astonishing. And every civilization game, and I mean every civilization game, Sid Meier's Civilization, all the way down to Through the Ages, all of them are different designers attempting to reinvent that mousetrap and make it for the modern-day audience, trying to capture the elusive, great civilization game. And these guys, Western Empire, what they did was, uh, years after Advanced Civilization disappeared and it was never to be seen again i have a copy here but we you know we don't um you know they haven't made copies of that somebody came up with mega civilization around uh, 2015 i want to say 2015 uh, mega civilization was a civilization game that played up to 19 players it used the eastern and western maps of civilization because civilization had a eastern map that you could also buy and add into the thing and it was just, uh, it was massive. It was enormous. Uh, small printing didn't, uh, didn't last very long. And so Western Empires just came out. There will be an Eastern Empires as well that you can combine to recreate Mega Civilization. But this game is very, very close to and very, very faithful to Civilization. It has an AST. That's an Archaeological Succession Track. Um, it, it is... It is basically all of the mechanisms of civilization and advanced civilization in particular uh, put together 
with only fairly minimal tweaking when it comes right down to it. And uh, it takes forever. If you want to see a hilarious review of this, Shut Up and Sit Down just did their review of, uh, of Western Empires. You must check it out. Uh, Quinn's... Uh, Quinn's had <laughs> had had issues with the length. Let's just say that, and kind of gets into it. Yeah, but we're we're hardcore gamers, right? We should be able to handle this, right? I thought you know you know what uh, I have to say. Shut up and sit down. Has they've really actually specifically Quinn's has really come a long way. I think as a reviewer, I think he's always mm-hmm. been very spot on and very articulate about his his um, thoughts on games. But over the years, I think his content has become sharper and more like, you know, like he sort of is able to really now convey a lot of things. And I watched that yesterday and um, I really liked how he expressed his views on that game. And um, I think it's definitely worth watching for people. Yeah. If you're interested in that sort of game. Having played a lot of Civilization, I totally get what he's saying. And at the same time, I'm like, yeah, but... It's civilization. That's what you got. So it's like everything he's saying is from a modern board gamer's perspective. Like you could get totally wiped out and still have to wait 10 hours for the game to be over. It is unfair in the way the calamities can be can can totally miss people and totally hit other people. And it's this and that. And and, and the, the way the board is designed is this and the other thing. I'm like, yes. See, that's yes. a mean game. That's a mean <laughs> game right there. It's yes, that's yes, what I'm talking yes, about. yes, and yes. All of those are true. And yet, that's exactly the game that we used to play when we played Civilization. And so for, for me, I got to tell you, I'm probably, when it's, when it's, when it's available in, uh, in, in the States for a reasonable price, I'm probably picking it up. It's interesting. because I don't know, for, for those of us who are younger from a different generation than you, I don't know. I feel like, you know... I don't know. I I don't have uh, I don't have the same ties to the to that game from what was it 1972 or something like that. So I like <laughs> you know so so for me, but no, for real though, like I don't have those ties to the game. So I I actually think that like you know I won't have that the underpinning of nostalgia that might power me through some of those game elements that otherwise would would drive me nuts. You know. Paul, I think you've been wanting to say something for a little bit. Would you like to say something? <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, it, I think like this reminds me of uh, that one time you and I and a group of other people played Here I Stand. Oh, so good. Stop. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it's, you know, like it's in the investment of like 12 hours and or a day, really. And I, I feel that. I don't know. Like I, I would be totally up for it, but it would be the same vein of which I would play Forgotten Waters. So basically, Western uh, Empires and Forgotten Waters are exactly the same to me. Really? Oh God! <laughs> Forgotten Waters! Wow! <laughs> wow! That's crazy. Look, I, I firmly realize that if I get Western Empires, it is a game that at most, at most, once a year, once a year, yeah. one day a year, and I understand that. The nine people I invite to play year one, I will probably only get four of them to play year two and have to find a new, a new group who is going to be able to, to gel with that. But I do kind of want that experience again. I do. And, and I would totally play it. Oh, I, I would, too. You know, it's a it's a birthday game. Hey, guys, here's my gift. Yeah. Uh, you're indebted to me like 15 <laughs> hours. We're going to order yeah. in. We're going to make a day of it. It has to be better than Forgotten Waters, at the very least. 
we will get to that. We will get to that. Next up is a game called Santa Monica. <laughs> 2020 Santa Monica coming out. We are here. Uh, I, I live Santa Monica adjacent. I live in the next uh, the, the next town over. I walk every day on the beach in Santa Monica. And uh, this is kind of this is kind of cool. It's a, a short, simple game. Uh, it's I think it's about to come out or has just come out. I think it should be in, in uh, available mm-hmm. Uh, pretty much when you hear this. It plays two to four players. It plays in about 30 to 40 minutes. It's a little filler game. But if you look at it, you know, go take a look at it. It's it's beachy. It's got pastels. It looks like Santa Monica a little bit. It looks like a little throwback Santa Monica. Super simple. It's sort of card drafting, and you're using those cards, cards to build a little stretch of beachfront for yourself. And it's, you know, some you'll build a volleyball court you know a sand volleyball area and you're going to get guys later on and you're going to put those guys into that volleyball area because it's going to be worth more points then and you're going to have a little surf shop and that surf shop gets points if it's next to something else that's uh, aquatics related or that kind of thing and so on and so forth so you know listen not much of a, a of a game it's 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 kind of like kind of simple but it looks really good. They did good production design, good production values, and it seems like for a fairly simple game, it's, you know, think suburbia, only a filler. Uh, I think that's kind of the closest yeah. to what it is. It looks, I love the art on it, and um, I love the idea of being able to go to Santa Monica without having to cross the 405. So, you know, <laughs> it's, you know it's definitely on my radar. The 405, how dare you? You're so far away. So far yeah. away. Um Next up, Imperial Struggle. Imperial Struggle, there was a, uh, a photo shared on Twitter of all of the copies of Imperial Struggle ready to ship. For those who don't know, Imperial Struggle is the follow-up to Twilight Struggle. And it is about basically the 100 years war, the second 100 years war that happened during the 18th century between France and Britain, where they were at each other's throats fighting everywhere you could possibly fight. The New World, the Old World, the continent, the, you know, the India, basically every single place that these two massive empires were, they found ways to poke each other in the eye. So this is going to be a two-player game that is going to cover those years. So it's very much uh, Twilight Struggle. Twilight Struggle was a game that was set during a 40-year period of time in which the two great powers of the world fought in every corner of that world, and uh, the cards that you would play would would depict actual events that happened during that time. This is going to be the same thing. Um, I'm told that it should play very much like Twilight Struggle, if not even a little, maybe a little simpler, maybe a little more stripped down in some ways, a little less. There there are some card combinations in Twilight Struggle that they may have decided to get rid of because they're a little, they're a little gamey, a little game the system sort of thing. Anyway, um, Jesse and Matt and I, I think we, we all have uh, uh, copies ordered. Can't wait for them to come in. This is a game. If you like Twilight Struggle, how do you not immediately sign up for Imperial Struggle? If you are listening to me and you don't know what Twilight Struggle is, immediately go on Steam or whatever and play Twilight Struggle. It's one of the best games ever made. 
Yeah, it's also one of the most stressful experiences you'll ever have. And I have <laughs> I have such a strange relationship with Twilight Struggle in that um, I think it's it's great. It's such a good game. And yet I'm always sort of like I have a copy of it like right here. I'm staring at it. But uh, I'm always so intimidated to go dive into it. I do it like only every few years. And I'm like, OK, I'm going to play Twilight Struggle. And I play it. And it's agonizing and fun and so good and then when it's over i'm like ah, ah. i have to like put it back on the shelf and be like i have to work work up my energy to play it again because it just it like man i feel like i'm getting it's just it's intense it's intense so would you say it's mean or cutthroat <laughs> cutthroat <laughs> i would say it's cutthroat oh, or haven't... or actually if it is mean the meanness is thematically appropriate because it is a cold war so it's passive aggressive how about that uh, I have a, I'm in your same situation, Ben. I have a sealed copy of Twilight Struggle, like, you know, right underneath my, my TV. And every time I, you know, I go, I look at it, I go, not today. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Or my app. I've got the app too. I'm like, I'll, I'll play, I'll start playing and I'll be like, do you, it's like JFK or Vietnam War or whatever. And I'll be like, sure. Yeah, this will be fun. And I'll be like, ah, and I just sort of like throw my phone across the, across the room. I'm like, it's too much. Game branders, do not listen to these people. They they know not it's about what they speak. It's a great game. It is amazing. Game. Paul, you should play it with Aiden. Should I? Should I? <laughs> <laughs> I would love it. No, it, you know what? Who, there's there's an intimidation factor because not uh, not only is it an incredibly stressful game, and in a way, by the way, that's not a negative. That is a total pot. It's like fun stress. That's the best part. It's like it's so tense, you know, um, which is not a problem for me. All the games we play are mostly very tense. But um, there is this feeling like, especially in Twilight Struggle, that people who've played it a lot, who really know the decks, etc., are just going to rake you over the coals. So you have the tension of um, the tension of the game itself and the tension of feeling like you're a little lamb who has like walked into the lion's den and, and, like, and think to yourself, can I survive this? So I think that's, that's what it is for me. But maybe as I get better and better, yeah. I will feel that i'll be less intimidated absolutely like you know that the game requires investment basically to, to really play it to play it at a not even at a beginning level but at a at a understandable level you need to know all the cards you need to know you get to play it like like five times before you go oh now i can start playing it and i it's just one of those things that the people that i play with you know are already like so far down the road you know who, who elder said this about you know various games like sometimes you just late for the curve yeah and then you yep. just you don't want to play it and then so like you know like tom and jesse and even aiden like you know there's just so much investment in it already for them and for me i'm like going oh there is this card that like wipes out my whole board well <laughs> i wish i knew that look paul just put influence in romania <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and it's and it's also by the way because you are basically it's like little fires everywhere i mean there's it's just like in an you are battling on so many fronts at all times and then and they're just growing and growing. So it's just, it's, it is amazing. It is an amazing design, an amazing game. And, um, you know, just, I'm not saying don't play it because it's intimidating. I'm saying my experience is that I have this thing where I want to play it. And then I like sort of engineer it and then scurry away to a corner and find some ice cream. Well, gentlemen, I got good news for you because a game that is almost exactly like twilight twilight struggle and yet, that none of us have ever played is about to come out. Imperial Struggle wow. is coming. You do not have to be behind the curve anymore. You can be learning it with us. We can all be learning it together. Gentlemen, this is our opportunity. 
let's seize it. <laughs> To hit reset. Next okay. up, um, Paul, you were you were mentioning a game that we played for 12, 12 hours when we were talking about uh, Western. What, what was that game? Here I stand. Here I stand. It's funny that you mentioned that because the designer of that is a guy named Ed Beach. Ed Beach has done design work on all sorts of things, including Civilization VI, the PC game, and all that sort of stuff. He also designed Here I Stand, Virgin Queen, and he's got a brand new game that's coming out. It's called Border Reavers. It is about the Anglo-Scottish border raids of the 1500s. And, oh my goodness, it's supposed to be like Here I Stand. And <laughs> uh, <laughs> Look, I love Here I Stand. I adore Here I Stand. Question, Tom. Yes. How many times have you played it? Twice. How many times have you finished it? <laughs> One, once. <laughs> once. Am I the only one who imagines every time you say here I stand, it's Kate Blanchett saying it? Because I feel like it really matches. I think it does. I think you're right. It is. I actually think of Gandalf. And I, when you say here I stand, I think of like, you shall not pass. <laughs> Which, by the way, is, is. I just imagine like an Oscar clip of Kate Blanchett just like dressed in some period garb saying here I stand. So. Here I Stand is a game about the wars of the Protestant Reformation. So Martin Luther nails his 95 theses to the, uh, to the door at the Wittenberg uh, uh, Cathedral and starts off a firestorm. And you play in that game either the Ottoman Empire, the Catholics, the Holy Roman Empire, France, England, the Protestants, or there's one more I can't remember. Said the, you said the English already? Yes, I think I did. Anyway, seven different powers. And here's the thing. They all play so differently. If you're the reformers, you barely have any troops on the board. A lot of the Ottomans are using raiding parties and, and piracy and ships, and they're, they're attacking people. As a reformer, you are translating the Bible into different languages and, and trying to get it into England and all this sort of stuff. So there's it's a six, seven-player game that has many, many, many different mini-games to the extent that some people are playing radically different games than the person sitting next to them, and it's 12 hours long. That was a problem, and that is also the beauty of it. It's it, I absolutely love it. I, I kind of have, I guess today is the day for me to confess my love for borderline unplayable games. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'm with you. I love, I actually love like an 8 or 10 or 12 hour game because I feel like it's so epic and it's like an experience. So I'm with you there. Yeah. Like our Forbidden Stars night that one night? Yeah, like Forbidden Stars that went for that was like twelve hours. <laughs> well, Border Reavers is going to be six players, uh, each playing one of the six major riding families on the border. Essentially, there is this one area of Scotland that you couldn't grow anything because it's Scotland, you can't grow anything. So everybody had to get by with livestock, right? They had to get by with meat, cheese, cut them up for food and all that sort of stuff. But invariably they couldn't survive on just what they had. So they'd have to go and raid the next door neighbors that had uh, the stuff that they wanted to. And sometimes there would be two or three families ganging up together on the one rich family and to take everything that they had and so on and so forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Um, this is a game set in that period, which says to me, here I stand, but everyone is playing the same game. So mm. card-driven Sort of like a six-player Twilight Struggle, maybe. 
right? It's a card-driven oh. war game where six different factions okay. are fighting over very scarce resources, trying to survive and trying to, to uh, surpass each other. I, it's I like going to the supermarket these days, yes. I'm all over it. I am all over that. I can't wait. Uh, super excited. Uh, that's a GMT game release. It'll be coming out very, very soon. Uh, one more GMT release. Every once in a while, I think, you know, every three months or so on the podcast, we go over some GMT games. There's a game called Versailles 1919. It's uh, about the signing of the Treaty of Versailles. Um, this is a game by Jeff Engelstein and Mark Herman. They did a game called Churchill that I maintain is amazing. Churchill is a three-player only game that is, it's kind of like Twilight Struggle in the sense that it straddles the line between war game for war gamers and euro game for euro gamers. There is no dudes on a map on this. There's none of that sort of stuff. What it is, is it, it, Churchill is sort of the, uh, the negotiations at Yalta, I believe. And you are trying to outwit, outmaneuver, and put yourself in, in the position to win the treaty, essentially. Versailles, it plays up to four players, and it plays short. It plays in about two hours, and it's going to be um, basically the negotiations in the conference room trying to get your issues uh, um, uh, met so that the fate of the world is going to turn out in, in your benefit. And if you don't know, the Treaty of Versailles at the end of 1919 is, is one of the more controversial uh, pieces of 20th century history that we have. I mean, so many things happen that, that are, we're still dealing with today go back to that. The French, for instance, would not listen to Woodrow Wilson or, or any of the other world leaders and give Germany uh, some amount of uh, face-saving in that treaty. And because of that, plunged them into the Weimar Republic and hyperinflation and brought out such resentment that not too long thereafter, the Nazi regime rose and we were in the Second World War, directly because of the Versailles uh, Treaty in 1919. Um, the Middle East was carved up during this period. The Asia was carved up to some degree. The, uh, you know... Um, Vietnam. So we can fix it all on this board game. We can. <laughs> Look, is that what you're saying? The English in World War One partnered in the Middle East because they found out that oil was going to be important, right? They'd be using coal up to this point, and they they found out that oil had advantages. I saw Lawrence Arabia. <laughs> they partnered with two families. They they partnered with the the Hussein family and the Saud family, and sure enough, in the Treaty of Versailles, those two families divvied up. Everything, everything. Wow. Uh, very, very, very interesting period of time. And if it plays, if it's Churchill that plays for four players in two hours, I cannot wait to get this. I can't wait to get it to the table. I can't wait to show it to you guys. Uh, Mark Herman is is a very, very good uh, war game designer that designs Euro adjacent war games. Uh, he did some games in the coin system and and, and things like that. And uh, I, I highly recommend checking him out. Um, cool. Yeah, and let's move on. One last thing, The Shining. Uh, would you believe wow. that in 2020, with all the crazy stuff that's happening here, we got murder hornets, we got all sorts of stuff going on, two different Shining games are coming out, right? We had one that already came what? out, Prospero Hall's mm -hmm. uh, Shining game already came out. Um, later on this year, a different game based on The Shining is coming out, The Shining Escape from Overlook Hotel. 
This is a game that is set in the Coded Chronicles world. Coded Chronicles is kind of like a... Um, Escape room in a box, I guess you could describe. What it is is there, there, are code, there are codes and hidden things that are hidden in the pictures of the cards and the pieces of the, of the game. And as you uncover clues, those clues are going to help you discover the answer to the puzzles in the game, which are then going to lead to more clues and so on and so forth. Um, there's only been one Coded Chronicles game before this. It was the uh, Scooby-Doo one that came out. It was called Scooby-Doo Escape from the Haunted Mansion, which got pretty good reviews, actually. People were talking about it and saying that it's it's a kind of a refreshing change. It's a little bit different. Now, how much play is this game going to have? Will you solve the problems and then you never play the game again? I don't quite know that. I haven't played the original, so I can't say. But it's interesting anyway. That's, that, a, that's quite a progression to go from Scooby-Doo to The Shining. It is, isn't it? Is it, though? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> like, Scooby-Doo well, is just basically I, The Shining I, with, like, nicer music. Hashtag not my Scooby-Doo. That's true. <laughs> not, you, know, you know what, though? This, I like that there are these two Shining games because it, it, it also it follows real life, how there was the famous Shining movie, and then there was the ABC miniseries with Steven Weber. You mean the, uh, the, the, Steve, the, the Stephen King-approved version of The Shining? The, yes, the exactly. Movie. Yes. Stephen King notoriously uh, very, very angry about Stanley Kubrick's uh, uh, liberal take on his book, um, despite it being the greatest horror movie ever made. What yeah. can you do? What can you do? Um, that, ladies and gentlemen, was the news. Let's get to a quick Games on the Brain so we can, uh, we, we can talk about what we're thinking about right now. Games! Games on the Brain! These are games we these are games stuck on our brains, oh baby! Actually, you know, because I listen to this, this podcast at two times speed... I was just going to say that. <laughs> you know, I, I actually, like, you know, am really missing out, maybe not on the the content, but, like, on the music. Because, like, I just listened to Trey, oh, the person singing... Whoever, you know, whoever it is. Whoever that I- person is. And I go, like, this is real musical genius. <laughs> Because it's games, games mm. of the brain. These yeah. are games I like to play. These are games I like to play. Oh, my God. Uh, ben, what, what are you thinking about these days? What's, what's occupying your game brain? Um, you know, I, I mean, it's kind of the games I played this week have been occupying my game, my game brain. There's also this game that I've been seeing on BoardGameGeek. is sort of a reissue called Golf Mobile and Ohio. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't even really know what it's about. It's I just see a train and... Uh, uh, I know there's cubes and there's like two videos up there right now about it. Um, and I've been meaning to carve out some time to learn about it. So I, I want to learn more about it. It seems like it might be up my alley. And also uh, another game, I don't even know, I don't even know how to pronounce, pronounce it. I think it's Tekanyu, Tekanyu, the new one yes. that's coming out David from the designers of Zolkin and uh, Tez Wakin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Tur- Turks. Very excited about that one too. So, yeah. And so I'm excited about that. And, um, you know, for... Forgotten Waters has really, uh, it's really taken up a lot of my brain space this week, I have to say. Uh, this is the, um, I don't this know. Is the period where we... Do we finally get to talk about it? Yes, absolutely, by all means. So, so for those who don't know, Matt had a birthday party, and being the sadist that he is, he had one request that, peop- that up to six people join him for a zesty game of Forgotten Waters. Um, I was uh, unable to do so. I had a, a business call right in the middle of when the game was going to be played. Uh, but a lot of our game brainers did show up and play it. Gentlemen, what did what did you think of that game? Tell us. 
Ben, you go first. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> I would say I would put it in the 99th percentile of games that I don't like. How about that? Wow. Is that a nice way to say it? Wow. So kind of A plus worst game for you? I, I actually, I, 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 I'm really I'm not trying to come from a, a negative place because we want to lift. Up, I feel like we, you know, in some ways we want to lift up the hobby, et cetera. But I really disliked this game. I'm sorry to say it was to me. It failed on every single front and uh, <laughs> it just was not for me. I'm our, sorry. Our good reviews mean nothing if we're not if we're not willing to go there on the bad ones. Tell, yeah, tell, me, tell yeah. me, let, let's put it into perspective. What is a game that is worse than this for you? <laughs> well, according to my rankings on BGG, nothing. Wow. Okay. All right. Actually, no. There are worse. I'm, I'm sure there are worse games. But like this was, this was. It was. You know, I felt bad. You know, this was. It was okay. It was really fun that we all gathered together uh, for Matt's birthday. I really that was that was really fun. Um, and it, you know, it started off fun. There's you know, there's like this Mad Lib element in terms of you know you. I, I can't describe, it, but there there's like a Mad Lib aspect you got your character so it was very fun um and, and in terms of like diving into it and then it for me it just became a very passive experience where you're you know there wasn't a lot of role playing it was just sort of like move this counter up here move this counter down mm. not a lot of choices so like it wasn't giving me the fun role play stuff it wasn't giving me the fun gameplay stuff and it just sort of like just went forward and um for me it's just it did not scratch it did not work for for me in terms of what I like out of games, unfortunately. Now, Paul, you ranked it a 10 on BGG. Why? I, I'm actually revising it. It's going to be my top one. Wow. Okay, good, good, good. Tell, tell us what you thought of it. Uh, I, you know, I, I talked to, like, Trey, I talked to Dimitri about this. And I think, like, maybe Dimitri and I just came in with the right expectations because I had a great time. <laughs> <laughs> Did you? Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it wasn't it wasn't terrible. Like, you know, I, I, I think the way I would describe it is, like, it gave me exactly what it advertised. Okay. Uh, and so I, I felt like, but the, here's the thing, like, you know, if you were to uh, play a game with like, let's say your four-year-old niece or something, mm -hmm. and they wanted to play Candyland, mm -hmm. could you enjoy playing Candyland? That, you know, could you delight in what they did? Yeah. Because it, it yes. Can, yeah. Sort of. And so you, you, you know, you divorce what you want out of games and you, you know, meet it at its level. Right. And when you meet it at its level, I think it's a perfectly great execution of what it is. I mean, don't, don't, don't misunderstand. I, I was meeting it at its level. I was like <laughs> fully on board. Were you? Thinking? I had, I had, I, I, I actually 100% was. I was not coming in like a hater. I was mm -hmm. like, I know what this game is. It says right here on BGG, it's the world of Forgotten Wars is, is silly and magical with stories designed to encourage players to explore and laugh in delight as they interact with the world around them. Wow. Okay. That's, 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 a, that's a so like order. I was like I know what this is. I know what this sort of game this is going to be about. And by the way, I will say the um, I, I thought the the writing was very fun. I liked the I liked the 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 storytelling that they did in it. But I did not actually find that it engendered a lot of silliness. I didn't feel like it engendered a lot of um, opportunities to be like to be fun and uh, get into character. We had these all these extensive back backstories with our characters that like really never came into play, and we were not really given too many opportunities to play with that. And it was like these very very minor choices of you know what action do you want to take? Do you want to take this one or that one? With with not very interesting payoffs to me. So 
Now, it Tra- was it was a chore. Now Trey played, correct? Yes, and he's he, Trey also hated it. Okay, so he ranked it a two two on board game geek as well. Well, yeah, I mean, Trey so. Trey hating a game is not uh, that's not a hard bar. To- but that's what I love about our our board game group. Like we have such diverse opinions. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but like you know, I, I would say that. What game this reminds me of mm-hmm. is Seafall. You know, it's a like a toned down Seafall. Okay, uh, pirates and and I think for all of it, like it wind up being. I, I was the person in our group who felt like Seafall was fine. Oh, you know, yeah. I, I think I think there are some people who had a hard time with Seafall when we're playing it. I, I did not care for that game. Yeah, and, and so once again, like I I feel like I'm a person who who goes like my expectations are very as the social gamer. I'm looking for different yeah. things, I suppose. You're not the social gamer. I, I, I'm not. Yeah. A, I'm a social gamer. <laughs> Stop mixing me up, okay? I'm, I'm calling people the wrong thing all the time now. Um, for me, what's on my brain on my brain right now is, um, I think because Western Empires was on my brain this week, and you know, and, and here I stand was on my mind this week. I'm sort of thinking about how this social isolation thing has got us playing older games. We are playing, I mean, maybe not that old, not as old as all of that, but people are going on Board Game Arena and they're looking at the game choices they have. And a lot of them are games from, you know, 2008, 2010. They're not just playing the new hotness. They're going back and they're getting a chance to maybe experience for the first time some of the real classics of our our, our hobby. And I'm really kind of happy about that. I, I like the fact that we're going back and we're we're getting some really good plays in on some absolute classic games. I know our group is doing that, and I think a lot of other people are. And I'm really, really mm-hmm. um, happy that that's happening right now. I think that's fantastic. Uh, the other thing yeah, for me is absolutely yeah 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 yeah. The other thing is is that uh, Alban Viard gave me a copy of Clinic, the deluxe edition, and uh, I can't wait to get that out I, t- I took a peek at it I, I i see what it is it feels kind of more like a puzzle game than i was expecting and uh i'm i'm eager to when the quarantine is lifted that one that's going to be one of the first things i want to put on the table so looking forward to that yeah uh, for me uh yeah that looks fun uh the game on my brain is food chain magnet yeah and do you want to know why because of those donuts you just ate no because what I've been doing in the quarantine is like, oh, I don't have enough to eat today. I'm going to go and get some things to eat. <laughs> and what I've come to realize is that Popeye's is always busy, like around the block busy. KFC, no one is there. And like Panda Express, you know, moderately to very busy. And I'm going like, oh, this is, I'm like literally driving around just like in Food Chain Magnet. <laughs> but, you, but you know, no chef would ever go to KFC, but tons and tons of like top, top chefs, they go out of their way to go to Popeye's. They realize that that, that fried chicken mm-hmm. really is something. But, you know, I, I'm assuming that like, you know, COVID like does something and makes you taste the 11 herbs and spices less or something. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, let's also realize that in yeah. our neck of the woods, there are 20 KFCs and there's basically two Popeyes. Fair enough. Fair enough. But, you know, what was really the Popeyes is also better. Oh, Popeyes yeah. Popeyes is uh, objectively better. Oh, my goodness. Uh, but, like, what I've been is I've been driving around a lot. Mm-hmm. And I'm going like, oh, this is this. I feel like I'm, I'm a customer in Food Chain Magnet. 
<laughs> driving around going like, oh, I can't go to Panda because the line's too long. They're out of orange chicken. I go to Popeye's. Oh, that's not where. Oh, KFC. No, nah, I'm not going to go KFC. <laughs> now, what if KFC got a pricing manager and reduced their price? So what if it was the the $2 fill-up menu? Like you should, they are, their menu is pretty, you know, like. I think They're advertising. <laughs> I think they have a five dollar box, right? That's what it is. A five dollar, yeah, yeah. and you get not not a not a not a sack, not a not a sandwich. You get a box of food for yeah, five bucks. A meal. You get a meal. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. But anyway, so that's been on my mind just because I'm living it. Apparently. Oh my goodness, that's hilarious. Well, uh, I think that's actually. I mean, I think that's a really good observation. I think it might be something that we might circle back to uh, in the discussion topic about economies. You know, yeah. oh, big time, big time. Uh, eight by eight challenge. I don't know if we did anything on the eight by eight challenge. I, I'm pretty sure we're we're done with uh, with Age of Steam. So I don't think we added anything else to that. But now, is that me? Is that you? I don't know. I don't know. That might be. That was, sorry, that was. It was me. I'm blaming the drilling downstairs. Uh, there was a momentary lapse of internet over here. <laughs> All right. Uh, we are going to move on to our new special segment, which is counting down the top 50 Game Brain best games. This is where we need the theme song of the final countdown. <laughs> oh, that's pretty good. I love that. I think that. That would be fantastic. Uh, so last week we did for the second time the countdown from 50 to 46. <laughs> uh, now we're going to count 40, uh, 45 to uh, 40. Coming in at number 45, Dead of Winter, which is a good game. Yeah, I, I, I could see that. I, I totally get that. Yeah. Number 40. And by the way, I think a better, a better implementation of the sort of feelings that I feel like Forgotten Waters, which is the same publisher and one of the same designers, uh, was trying to summon up. Is that right? Interesting. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, I think they're both plat hack games, and Isaac Vega design was a designer on both. And I think they're both part of their maybe they're both part of their crossroads system. But I just feel like Dead of Winter elicits that naturally that role playing, uh, LARPing uh, experience. Uh, just it, uh, it's so fun. Oh yeah, I totally agree. I I, I think I've had some very fun Dead of Winter games, just getting into it and screaming at people. I hear that uh, Trey mm-hmm. and Jesse can't play together, Dead of Winter. <laughs> that, is, that is also true. <laughs> really? Uh, yeah. <laughs> we don't need to get into it. <laughs> We're just, uh, listen, if you're playing a zombie horror survival game and, you, and nobody loses it, I think, that, I think that's the sign of a bad game. I think somebody's got to lose it. Uh, number 44 is Love Letter. <laughs> oh, that's... Love Letter. I was so glad that it made the top 50 because it is it, games that are that light, that filler. Uh, sometimes uh, in our system, they might get forgotten. So I'm really, really happy mm-hmm. that Love Letter made the, uh, made the list for us. Um, we had Paul and, uh, and Jake both put it on their, uh, on their list. So Love Letter is number 44. Paul, you love that game. I do. Uh, I think like, you know, I think... But I'm playing this other variation in my head because when it first came out, like, you know, the game is there's a certain amount of luck to it. Mm-hmm. And so, like, we're playing me and Matt and we just go like and Matt goes to me, you know, let's play the game whose God is stronger. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when I'm playing the game, regardless of who I'm playing with, like there's that narrative in the background of my head. It goes like, oh, am I going to be strong with my God? This <laughs> My God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above. All right. Uh, number 44, Kingdom Death Monster. I have never played Kingdom Death Monster. Of all of the games of that Same. type, mm-hmm. 
that's the one I want to play the most. Is that Matt? Yes. Yes. I have heard... Uh, I've heard of all of that type of game, even more than Gloomhaven, I've heard that Kingdom Death Monster is probably the thing that is going to hit my tuning fork the hardest. So I would love to check that out one of these days. Uh, Number 42, how did it get this far down? Dune, Dune is sitting at number 42, the disgrace of it, but uh, all-time absolute classic. Yeah, Uh, I've never played it. Oh, well. What? Did you just say you never played it, Ben? I've never played it. Is that right? What can I say? I've that's never played amazing. it. We, yeah, we, that's uh, right. We have to correct that Im- immediately. The moment we get together again, I'm going to sit you down and introduce you to Dune. I think uh, knowing the games that you like, you are going to love it with one possible, oh, with one possible exception. It's mean. <laughs> it's not cutthroat. Well, <laughs> it's mean. Well, but it's interesting. You know, meanness in games, meanness in games has a time and a place. Like if, if a game if you know at the outset this is a mean game and mean things happen and um, that's part of the experience, I, for some reason I'm just jumping to like a much, much, much lighter game but like survive, escape from the island or whatever. Yep. That game is nothing but meanness or maybe you can even make an argument for the estates. Uh, I haven't played it enough to know. But, um, you know, like if it's part of the fabric of the game then you just sort of have fun with that meanness. Like, you're mean to me, I'm going to be mean to you, nah! But if it's sort of like <laughs> if, if, the, if the vibe of the game is like Ooh, let's like we're I'm building my engine, da 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 da, and then someone just like knocks over your sandcastle. That's when you're like, hey, hey. <laughs> so uh, I feel if like that's Dune my... is if Dune is like the vibe is like, listen, you're, it's just mean all over. I'd probably be okay. Right, is there such thing as a kind Harkonnen? I don't think there is. No, it's a, uh, it's it's yeah. it's a great swingy game, so that's why I think you'd like it. Ben, it could last twelve hours, well, and it can last. 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I have a question. I mean, I know, you, I know, Tom, you're not a huge fan of like um, Twilight Imperium, uh, but yeah. just in terms of do you think that's a mean game or not a mean game? Um, I wouldn't call Twilight Imperium mean, no. No, I don't think it's a okay. mean game. I don't think just because, you know, because there's, there's, there's combat or whatever. So, like, I didn't, I just want to get a calibration of. Sure. Of, Oh, whether or not there's yeah, whether or not there's combat has nothing to do with it. I mean, Twilight Imperium is a turtling game, and turtling games, as far as combat goes, are the opposite of mean because it's it takes so much to really, really hurt anybody that much. You're all just just building up forces and moving one territory over, and all all of that sort of stuff. So, um, no, that's not mean. It's boring. I don't I don't think it's very mean. That's that's well, we'll have. I'm not. We'll discuss that another episode because we have other things to discuss. But I, I see such diverse opinions. I don't know how I became the person that became like the defender of Twilight Imperium in the group. Uh, and <laughs> you keep you keep bringing it up. People. You keep bringing it up, and I'm gonna and I'm I just I gotta call it out. I gotta tell people don't do that. Don't play that. No, but it's just it's just funny. No, I'm not that I'm like upset with the role. It's just funny when I look at my game collection. Yeah, how like I am like this defender of Forbidden Stars and now uh, and Sir Twilight <laughs> Imperium, which is so like not my brand at all. I mean, like give me a game about like you know making pasta or something. I don't know, but like okay, I'm, suddenly I'm, like, I'm going to give you a compliment. Galaxy. I'm going to give you a compliment now. Um, when I looked at your top twenty list, it was the most different of any of the rest of us, and I loved your top twenty list. I I thought the top Thank 20 you. games that you had showed a, a, a sort of breadth of game experience and a ability to appreciate different tastes, different flavors, different styles of gaming. 
and uh, it, there was it, there were a couple games that I, I was really scratching my head about. But even <laughs> even most of those, no, but even most of those, I was like, okay. He he picked like Forbidden Stars. I don't hate Forbidden Stars at all. I think it's it's odd for it to be your number one game, but I think that that I found that game to be <laughs> surprisingly really good. So uh, I, I recognize yeah. that you're picking out the best of a variety of different categories, categories that I may be more likely to overlook. And so I I, I thought that was great. I, I loved your list. Thank you very much. I really I really appreciate that. Is there a term for now, like... Paul? Your turn. Oh no. I'm... What do you like about me? <laughs> Is it? Is there, a, is there a term for a person who has a wide variety of tastes? Because you might fall in... in, in Dilettante, maybe? Uh, that, that's, it, uh, sure. You know, like, but it, it seems I actually like, don't... Oddly enough, I don't think I have a wide variety of tastes. I just think that yeah. sometimes... A person with I a wide know. variety I, of I'm, tastes is called yeah. tasteless. That's what we call them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's, move, let's move on to number 41. Uh, we're not going to get to 40 because there were three games that were tied at 38, and we'll do that next week. But number 41, the game that started it all, Catan. Oh, yeah. Catan, number 41, had to be on the list, had to be on the list, almost wasn't on the list. Thank you, Jesse, and thank you, Paul, once again, like you know, you have to wait. Didn't didn't I put it on my list also? No, you did not. Didn't make your top twenty. What? Didn't make your top. That's crazy. Oh come on, you know, between that, it was between that and uh, Twilight Imperium, and and uh, Catan lost. Oh no, Ben's a bit of a dilettante. I have to double check. (laughs) As the resident resident dilettante here. Oh Um, no, wait, it was on your list. That's crazy. Wait, it wasn't on Jesse's list. It's not on Jesse's list. It's on your list and Paul's list. We did it, Ben. We did it. (laughs) Yes. We did it. (laughs) The power of prayer. Jesse didn't even put it into his top 20. What? Wow. That's interesting. That's crazy. What is going on? The world is the world has gone nuts. <laughs> I do not. Catan is a great game. I'm sorry, it's a great game. It's, I think. It's, listen, I, I certainly, I if I'm playing with people that have not played many Euros or not played any Euros, if I'm playing with 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 my kids or with my kids and their friends and stuff like that, I have no problem playing Catan. I would love to play Catan. See, I have a theory about this. Yeah. You know, I think like it really comes down to what people do when they play games. Are they playing the game as mm. a as a intellectual yoga or are they using it as a facilitator to connect with people? And like you can do both, yeah. but I wonder if like you know when Give you prioritize Uh yeah, I wonder if you how you prioritize will depend on what kind of games you're willing to deal with. Mm. Because I have friends who are at the Catan level and I just love playing Catan with them. You know, I'm not going to play here. I stand with them ever. You should. (laughs) You should. Yeah, I I think I think that Paul makes an absolutely fantastic point, which is that, um, you know, at this point with my gaming, you know, experience, what I like, and what I want to play, I don't often go to Catan ever because there's, you know, I have like a voracious appetite. I've always wanted to try new things or I have the guilt of, well, I bought this game, but I haven't I've only played it like once, you know, and Katana played so many times. And so for me, you know, I'm unfortunately I'm sort of drawn to bright, shiny objects and new shiny objects. And um, uh, but occasionally I do go back to Catan. And when I do, it's just it's always fun because I think when I go into Catan, the social experience when I play with my friends has always been top notch. Like that, that, that flurry of, of negotiations over, um, sheep, do you want, you sheep? know, trading sheep, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. like that is actually, it is 
it is so amazingly interactive in a way that most most games would dream of having that sort of interaction. And honestly, I think the gameplay is really fun. I think you know, I know people don't like you know rolling the dice sometimes, but I, I think it's I think it's just a it is a great great game. And you know, the only reason um, I don't play it a lot is that much anymore is because I've just already played it so much. Mm. Um, but uh, even just talking about it makes me want to go back and play it because it's just it's. I think it's a timeless. Yeah, back everyone the- should have, at, and at the very least, I think every game collection, everyone should have it, have it. Yeah, I, back in the day, played it hundreds of times, right? Hundreds. Mm-hmm. There was there is yeah. no game that we played today that we could ever play as much as we played that because there just wasn't anything else there. Yeah, Klaus Teuber really, really uh, sh- shepherded in a new hobby for so many of us, and uh, and we owe him thanks and. Number yeah, 40, has a lot of depth, 41 yeah. on our list. That's where it is. Uh, that is it for the Game Brain Top 50. We're going to move on to our review now. And our review is Smartphone Inc. Technically speaking, a 2018 release. We'll talk about why that is uh, in question. Uh, it was designed by Ivan Lashin. It was, the artist was uh, Victor Miller Gauza. And it is uh, put out by Cosmodrone Games. Ben, why don't you give us the, 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 the nuts and bolts of what is Smartphone Inc.? What are we playing when we play Smartphone Inc.? Uh, well, on a high level, uh, Smartphone Inc., uh, players all play as competing cell phone companies, telecom. And uh, we're all trying to basically take over the world with our cell phones. We all start in a certain market, uh, like a medium-sized market, I believe. So one mm-hmm. person might start in North Africa. One person might start in Canada. One person might start in Russia. Um, and from there, we just start to expand our marketplace dominance. We start to move into bigger and smaller markets. You might go into, you might move into Europe. You might move into uh, Australia. All, all over the world, and you're trying to you're trying to produce your cell phones. You're trying to improve your cell phones with technology. You are um, using the power of logistics to spread into these markets, and then you are ultimately selling your goods, trying to make the most money with it, and uh, trying to dominate regions, which will get you bonuses. And at the end of five rounds of this, whoever has the most money, which is also points, wins. But really, the defining feature, I would argue, uh, of this game is its action selection, I guess, or action programming uh, mechanic. Yes. Which is that at the, at the beginning of every round, each player has, um, has two cards that are they're like, it's like a two by three grid. And um, on each card, on both sides, there are various icons, which represent kind of actions you can do throughout the round. And you have to arrange your two cards uh, together. You have to overlap by at least one cell. Given that like each card has six cells on it, two by three, you have to arrange, uh, overlap the two cards by at least one cell up to four cells. And whatever icons are showing uh, will indicate what kind of actions you can do. And over the course of the game, you can, you can get things called improvements, which are uh, little one by two pieces that you can put on top of those cards to add more icons to the board and then now you have to figure out how do i maximize this layout and through that it will power you through all these phases of improving your boards of improving your technologies opening up new markets and selling your goods and of course setting your price and i think that in a nutshell is sort of what the game is all about 
Thank you. Um, I, I totally agree. The The action selection mechanism is is one of the more interesting things. Uh, a couple, just a little bit of background. The game says it was, uh, it was released in 2018. What it was released at was Essen. It was released at Essen. It sold out. And they sold maybe a few more copies in Europe. Uh, and mm-hmm. they said there would be a second print run. I don't believe there ever was a second print run. So it was a very hard, very limited release at that point. And then they put it out on Kickstarter. They improved the rules, the rules explanation. Uh, they improved the art on it. And that we've been waiting for ever since. And uh, our understanding is it is supposed to come this month. It is uh, uh, this month or next month mm-hmm. for sure. It'll be released here in the yes. United States. So uh, the game, even though it says 2018, don't be surprised if you are in the States or if you're anywhere other than Europe and you have never seen it. Even if you're in Europe, very few people had it. Uh, so it's one of those one of those difficult things. In the game, you are going to be doing the following. You're going to be getting upgrades to be able to choose better actions. You're going to be uh, to uh, use logistics to spread your cell phone empire. You start off selling, only be able to sell cell phones in, for instance, South America, but suddenly you can move to the Caribbean or you can move to uh, Africa and and sell cell phones there. That's another thing you can do. You can upgrade your technology there are five or six how many is it uh, six. six there are six, six technologies yeah. that are available and by unlocking those technologies you can sell phones to different regions uh, manufacturing phones is an action and the number of phones you manufacture is something that is very much in flux and pricing those phones is something that also is is something that is very much in flux what that price is going to be um when you put all of that together, it sounds like a very basic economic game. The the, the mm-hmm. two places where it's particularly unique are the action selection mechanism, which Ben did a great job describing. Two um, two pieces of cardboard that each have six spaces for symbols on it. None of them have six symbols on it. There's always empty spaces there, and how you're going. And each one of them is two sided, so they have different symbols on each side. And how you combine that to say you'll end up with something like, okay, I have three symbols for the upgrade technology. I have two symbols for logistics. That means I have a two strength logistics action, which is enough to get me into the Caribbean because it's a small territory, but it's only going to start to get me into the United States or something along those lines, right? Uh, the three technologies, that'll get me one of the low-level technologies like uh, GPS or mobile gaming, but it's not going to get me 4G. It's not going to get me the NFC chip in, in my phones or, or that sort of stuff. It's going to start me on that road to doing that. The other thing that I, I find to be even more um, interesting and compelling in the game is how pricing works and how pricing determines player order and how that changes the dynamics of the game very much. Paul, every game I've played with you, you've really explored that space and you've done a great... <laughs> you, no, you've really... you've you. Uh, I had some certain concerns after my first play. After the two more plays with, with you, you, you really did some... You, you did some tap dancing on my heart. <laughs> so talk about, talk about pricing and how that is, is dealt with in the game. Well, uh, I mean, ultimately, it's very simple. Like, you know, basically there are little minus signs on production. And sometimes you can, if you use one of these to produce a cell phone, uh, it's a cheaper cell phone, so you can sell it for less. And if you uh, sell it, if there are several of these, then you wind up selling for rock bottom prices. The real interesting thing is that 
the person who has the lowest cell phone cost moves first. Mm. And that means for everything, whether it be picking improvements, picking technologies, or more importantly, shipping. And so uh, what happens is if you are, if you're shipping your rock bottom uh, phones, you can block out uh, a whole territory by selling these things. And so people who have like $8 phones where you're selling for $2, they may, they may have all these phones and they can't, they can't like fulfill those things because no one wants them anymore and they have to throw them in the ocean. To be clear, what we're we, saying we is just, we should, Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. But I just want to clarify real quickly that in every territory, there are a number of set buyers and they all want different, different things. Uh, usually about half the buyers are just concerned with price. Like there'll be a buyer that's like, I will not buy a cell phone that's more than $3. So if you, ch- if you price yours at six, you will not sell to that buyer. And then there's a few, then there's always the other half who don't care about price, but they care about, do you have a technology? So when Paul, Paul says, um, if you go in at two or three, you block out other people, it's because he, at a $3 phone, could sell to more of those buyers first, and then they're not going to want to buy my phones because he's taken up all those slots. Absolutely. And actually, the real, the real, the real interesting, the, 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 the crunchy thing about this is um, if you're tied at price, you know, if your people are selling the, sa- the cell phone for the same price, the person with the least amount of points gets to go first. And this is horrifically, you know, brilliant because not only are you trying to guesstimate, you know, the right price to sell at, but you also need to control your, uh, how many points you've had before so that you aren't in the butt end of the turn order. I believe that the last three times I played this game, I was in first place at the fourth round and second place or sometimes third place at the end of the last round. So because of specifically this, it is, I, I, which to me, I have to say, not exactly the most positive thing in, in the world. I, I'm not crazy about bash the leader. I'm not crazy about the whole draft behind people and then, and, and then win at the end. I, I think that that's, uh, a mechanism that is mean. <laughs> I don't think it's, you know, I don't think it's bash the leader because it's hard. It's, it's hard to do that. It, to, to reference Catan, it's not like there's a, a clear way that you can take a robber and just like plop it down on someone's hex. Um, I think I, I, maybe the closest is that you're going to try to like uh, undercut their mark. You're going to try to make sure that they don't sell their phones, but that's kind of, I actually think that's part and parcel with, Theme. an economic game right like you need to get some sort of edge in the market because usually if they're under if, if someone feels the need to kick you out of a market it's because you've probably been dominating and and that other person's sales have been affected and i think that actually really this pricing thing that paul is discussing is kind of really one of the core strategical things you have to think about because you it's so important to be able to sell to sell to those buyers and to not only make sure that you get profits but in a way to deny some other people who are doing really well but the truth is if you are selling at two or three dollars you can do all the blocking in the world and someone at a higher price point can just sell you know like three phones and they've they've still somehow edged you out in profits and so knowing when you go low and when you decide you want to raise your prices to a premium is a real like a very fun and fascinating and tricky part of this game. The way that I would phrase it, like not to uh, riff on Michelle Obama, Obama, but like when they go high, 
you go low. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah. So the action selection, where you're you're manipulating these these two pieces of cardboard and often some other smaller ones that you've gotten through upgrade actions, to come up with the best roster that you can of actions. So you're taking, well, I'm not going to take this action at all this round so that I can get four of this or three of that and so on and so forth and building your empire that way. Fascinating. Uh, the mm-hmm. upgrades and choosing which uh, the technology rather and which one of those technologies you want. Every technology is going to do two things for you. One thing, it's going to allow you to sell a phone in markets that are uh, whose customers want that technology. There is one box for that technology. Once you have that technology, you can sell into that box as long as someone hasn't beaten you to it. But also, these technologies also unlock special abilities and special powers. That's where, for me, we get into a little bit of a problem area a little bit. I, I, listen, I think all three of us really like this game. Would, would you say that's, uh, that's fair, everybody? Yes, Absolutely. Absolutely. I do. Yeah, I really like it a lot. Yeah, yeah. So, so this is a this is a positive review. I'm I'm going to preface this by saying that I do believe that the technologies are not as good as they could be. That the uh, the technological advances are kind of a little bit problematic because there is a balance that we're trying to strike between the, the expensive phones and the cheap phones. And there are situations in the game in which, because of the technologies that are out there, you can look at the game after you played it a few times and realize, oh, expensive phones are going to win this game. And then there are other technology combinations that could be out there that are like, oh, it's going to be really hard for an expensive phone strategy to win here because of the, because of the technologies that have been laid out. Paul, do you agree with that? It's interesting because, like, I, I initially had that uh, feeling as well. Like, you know, it's kind of like, oh, well, you know, with a with a refrigerator, you know, that's <laughs> <laughs> there's one technology which allows you to maintain unsold phones and be able to sell them in a future round, which will happen in the game. That you will sometimes have uh, uh, unsold Excellent. phones. We call it the refrigerator because that is the uh, the the power that you can unlock in food chain magnet, and, and that's the game on my brain. Yep. <laughs> uh, but uh, but I think ultimately, like we after playing like four times i played four times and i've seen a a cheap strategy win yep i've seen an expensive strategy win mm-hmm. i've seen a you know kind of like a middle strategy win and really yeah like well you you did that the first time like you were kind of like oh yeah you're right like when you when you beat when you beat me like mm-hmm. I, was, I was going like how do you do that i was undercutting tom you know <laughs> I, was, I was doing so well you're right. so doing the, and you were like going well i'm gonna sell them for four and and, and you like you Ah, con, and I didn't see it coming. <laughs> but uh, you're right. I, I totally forgot. Yeah, you're right. So, so yeah. So I think my, my concern is like there, are, there are six, six times two, so twelve uh, technologies, and so ultimately there are maybe what like that winds up being thirty-two different variations, and that may cause a certain thing. But right now, it's hard for me to say that it's limiting yet because i've seen people zig in a way that i wasn't expecting sure yeah to be clear the the idea that in our early plays seems to be if you can produce overproduce phones and not sell them and have a backlog so for the last round of the game you've got 15 20 phones and you go cheap and you sell those phones first you can flood the market to a degree 
in which people that are trying to sell their expensive phones don't even have enough places to put those expensive phones. And the people in the middle, the people that are caught up after your wave, are just dead in the water. So so that strategy, when it, when it works out right, which I'm not saying is all the, all the time, it's, but it's, that's it's, the thing it's, it's not a guarantee. But you can't. You can't always rely on that. And that's what's what is so interesting about this game, right? It's like, okay, I have saved up all these phones because I use the quote-unquote refrigerator and I'm going to flood the market. Um, but how cheap, how low do I have to make my price so that way I can flood the market in this final round but still make a profit because it's really important to make a profit. And that's where it gets, that's really, really tricky. That's a tricky decision. Like you're not always guaranteed to thread that needle unless you actually just go down to $2 and the truth is, you could if you sell fifteen phones at two dollars, you're gonna make uh, you'll make 30, 30 points, and then you might actually call in uh, another fifteen points, maybe from region bonuses. Um, so that would be good. But someone else could just see, oh, hey, that person's stockpiling a lot. I'm not gonna be able to probably compete in that region with them. Maybe I should spend this. Maybe I should go into a different region totally. Or raise my prices really high and not and and decide, hey, I'm not gonna. They're gonna flood this market, but I see what technologies they have, and so maybe I can just raise my prices high and sell to the technologies that they can't sell to. So there are like ways to counter it, which I think has been fa- very fascinating about the game. We did we did have one game where the market was so flooded that the people that priced their phones at five dollars, even just five dollars or higher, literally had no place to sell. And we're left mm-hmm. we're, we're left in a bad situation. The fact that that happened in one game, and we've only played you know five or six times, might mean that that could happen more more often. And and that might be. The, I guess what I'm saying is is that this is a, this is an well, it's an economic game. This is an economic game, and when you're playing an economic game, there's always it, it, it's a mouse trap. And how perfect that mouse trap, how fragile that mouse trap is. Uh, um, can affect the long the, the longevity of that game in your in your collection. Uh, there's another technology. There's a there's a, one of the one of the two 4G technologies. Essentially, gives an expensive phone person the ability to pretty much always put a phone almost anywhere on the map. Like even in a territory where they're not anywhere near that area. So you could. That's a strategy that once that technology is out. All of a sudden, it becomes so much easier to play an expensive phone strategy to the to the extent that I'm not sure that a cheap phone or even a medium phone strategy can really compete if a person can price their phones at nine dollars and be guaranteed to sell all of them. Yeah. I'm not sure that that can be. Well, Paul, remind me who won in our game last night with you between you and Trey. You guys were you won, right? You you did, edged out Trey because Trey because Trey did that strategy. Trey tried the I, I I did the medium price strategy because we were playing with the AI. There's also uh, an AI uh, where you know it plays the fifth player or right. you play solo. Yeah, and, you want to talk about a spam bot? Yeah, yeah. Oh. And uh, and so what happened was it played the rock bottom price. Yep. Trey went high uh, and played the other price. Mm-hmm. You know the the expense the iPhone price, and I was and I was just a disaster. By the way, I was just a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I did the disaster strategy. And so what I did was I just decided to collect technologies because technologies gives you points. Sure. And then uh, and then kind of play the middle. And that worked out really well for me. Mm. Uh, I, I'm not saying that I'm But a you genius. didn't win? Oh, I won. Oh, you did win. Got it. <laughs> he did. 
but and but actually, just to to get back to technologies, though. What's and and oh sorry and the further point is though that Trey did do the four G with eight dollar phones mm-hmm. and he did that like a few rounds and okay. he still didn't win, um, but um, to get back to the technologies, what I think is really interesting about the technologies thing um, is that uh, one thing we didn't mention is that if you're the first to uh, study a technology, you get some uh, end game points and but you also make the technology cheaper for everyone else to study, so it makes it easier and honestly. The, just even a, an incremental uh, discount on technology really is very impactful in this game because that's one less technology research icon you have to put on your little tableau thing, which means that if you don't have to put that that icon out, you can use it for something else. Which so it's it does have actually a big impact. Um, but what's really cool about the technology for me is that not only does it give you a special power that then you want to see how you can use that power to like increase ma- your production or whatever it's going to be to make you a stronger player, get more, more market share, but also it opens up actual buyers for you. Mm-hmm. And so you have to, uh, you're not only saying thing to yourself like, Oh, well this power, this special power would work really well with, um, the improvements that I already have in my tableau. You have to think I'm in, I'm in this region and I have a buyer in this region that really wants gaming pad technology. And the next region I want to go into also wants gaming pad technology. So I probably should research gaming pads because um, that opens up two buyers for me potentially. But the problem is that the power with the gaming pads is not as advantageous to me as this power for like Wi-Fi. And so you have to choose between like a little bit between what's going to help build your engine versus what's going to give you a chance to sell. And that, I think, is a really fun choice. Yeah, like the way I would describe it is like there are always – it's a game of scarcity. You There's like yeah. two moves that you want to do and you're only going to get to do one you know, or, or five and you only get to do four or, or you know, whatever the right number is. And I really like that tension. You know, I think we in this podcast we talk about games that uh, create that tension – where you're going like, ah, uh, I want to, it's like yoga. Like I said, uh, mental yoga, where you're like, going, I'm stretching, it hurts, I want to do it. And I think this game really, really pushes you in a way that uh, some other games, uh, you know, it does it in a great way. Like the way I describe it is this game feels fresh. It feels fresh because yes. I, despite the fact that like every mechanic I've played with before. Sure. Uh, but the implementation of the... Well, the boards over the boards, maybe. Ex- exactly. Yeah. That implementation, like... Really, all that is is you're picking your uh, starting position for the the round. Like yeah. you know, it's like an attribute. It's like D and D. You're picking like, oh, I have twelve points. I need to. Between. Well, Maharaja, you have a you have a secret dial where you're Absolutely. going to choose two two arrows. Are going to choose two of the actions on that dial. Absolutely, yeah. but like you know, it's done in a way that it's familiar. It's something that you are familiar with, but it's done in a way that you've never seen before. It's like when you mm. go to like a haute cuisine place where you try like, oh, this is a this is a gourmet s'more or something where you go like, I know this taste, but like it's hitting me in such a way that is so new that I'm re loving this, this mechanism. The the tactility of those two plates that you're, that you're combining is, is kind of unique. Absolutely. And we're playing it online. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's the thing. We're playing on tabletopia and on tabletop simulator. And by, I think the tabletop simulator is the better version of it for people at home who are wondering, but I think, um, yeah, that tactility. I think that not only is that tactility interesting, but it's also 
fun. Like sometimes you have to look at what are the fun factors in a game. You know, what makes a game not just thinky or interesting or whatever, but what's like fun about it. And, and I think actually that puzzle of like, how do I manipulate these two boards together to figure out my actions? And of course they're designed in a very clever way because um, there's a, the, there's only one symbol that you ever get that allows you to get the little improvements, which will add more icons to your board. And that symbol is right in the middle. And it's like, anytime you want to do a configuration, it's like, oh, wait, you don't want to cover up that thing. Because if you do, you're not going to be able to get an improvement. You could get a consolation prize, which is not so bad. It's a goods token, which lets, increases your production a little bit. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's like, that's another decision you have to think about. And like, if you really want to go hard on research, there's one side that has a double research icon and then another side, but that means you'll have less logistics to move into other territories. So like, oh, I'm doing all this research so that way I can uh, move into that territory and sell to that buyer. But if I do all this research, I don't have enough logistics to get into that territory. Or if I have enough logistics to go into that territory, I haven't had the research to be able to unlock that buyer. So that's like a constant issue in that in that process, which I think is so fun. I, I agree. I, I, I Listen, it is a weird, it's a strange game in a couple of ways. It, it's closest to container and food chain magnate, and it's in between the two. Container is slightly lighter than this game. This game is close to it. Wow. It's slightly lighter than this game. Uh, and food chain magnate is considerably heavier than it. But unlike those two, those two are pure economic games, and this isn't quite a pure economic game, even though mm-hmm. the entire focus of the game is economic. And what I mean by that is money turns into victory points and there are other victory points that can be gained that are not from money. For instance, the first to perfect that technology, um, yep. regional bonuses, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Because it's not a pure number cruncher, um, I, I, sometimes that, that hurts an economic game because you kind of want that economic game to feel like a, a pure engine. This one didn't hurt it at all. I, I thought that, that, yeah. that it's, it's a really well done sort of slight fudging of the, the game, like victory points equaling dollars and not quite equaling dollars. And, and, and it gives other strategies a little leg up in terms of uh, other, other avenues to pursue in terms of victory. I thought it was really great. Yeah, we, we discussed that last night. We discussed, is this an economic game? Because um, it's, an, it's an economic setting and theme, but it's an actual economic game. And I'm, when I first played it, I thought, I'm not actually sure it's really that economic. But then, um, uh, you know, someone that we played with just said, you know, it is economic because it's it's basically like a sort of supply chain or yes. or whatever. You 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 have to like the the most important thing probably is anticipating what everyone's price is going to be, and that's where the economic aspect comes in because we see a we see a set demand. The supply as goes, yeah, and we don't really know what the supply is and we don't know what our competitors pricing is and that's where the economic vibe comes in because it's like what is in this marketplace i have competitors and they are going to be producing phones what are they going to set their prices at and how would i set my price now knowing you know i know some information about them and what they're doing what what research they have what they can do with their phones how do i set my prices to be competitive in this marketplace and then how do i adjust my supply accordingly yeah. or where should i put my resources into invest in, into 
research versus logistics. And that's where the economic stuff does come in. And I think that's, that's, it's, that's where it's really strong. Yeah. The only game I can think of in which pricing is more important than this game is Food Chain Magnate. And, that's, and that's, uh, that is high praise indeed. It is, it is a big, big deal. I think, though, guys, this is leading us into our discussion. Do you think we can, uh, sure, we sure. can put, the, put the review to bed did, and I, jump into economics? I just want to say... I just want to say one more thing about smartphone. I mean, I, there's sure. actually like, there's just, I feel like there's actually a lot of, a lot of really good stuff in here and there's a lot of stuff to, we, I feel like in some ways we haven't even scratched the surface because there's, there's, there are a lot of decisions to be made. And I saw a review or a discussion of the game where, where someone was saying, you know, it's fun, but after you make your initial programming, you don't really have any more decisions to make. You just sort of like let the cards fall. And I actually, nope. I, I completely disagree with that. I think that every phase, there's really important decisions to be made, even technology, yep. because if someone makes something cheaper for you, that opens up an opportunity. And logistics, you also, you know, what, logistics. Yeah, when, and people, also when people one, move to this territory, all of a sudden, my plan was to move to that territory. I now have to rethink where where am I going to uh, position my forces? Which markets am I going to break into, and which ones am I going to decide are, are oversaturated? Yeah, and I think that there are there's a lot of decisions on where and when you're going to expand and how you're going to use that in conjunction with your technology. Um, and I think you and we we didn't even really talk about regional bonuses, but basically whoever sells the most in the territory will get a, a bonus amount of points. And so and and as more people move into the territory, those points go up. Um, and so is it more important to sell not a lot of phones, but at a high price and get a lot of points that way but then you kind of will be missing out on the regional bonuses like there's a lot there's actually a huge number of decisions that come in after you reveal your 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 boards agreed agreed so, ultimately like the way I, if i were to recommend this like you know if if you're a veteran gamer you've seen all these min mechanics before you've seen uh you might not seen it implemented this way but like it's put together in such a way that it feels fresh so like you know yeah. if you love these mechanics you're going to love this game that that's that'd be my mm -hmm. when it comes when it comes a out clean graphic design yeah, too yeah. Um, until it comes out play it on tabletop simulator when it comes out yeah. after you've after you've tried it out see if it might be for you if you like economic games you very well might have found a winner here uh, let's move on and, because we're talking yeah. about economics in games Ben start us off talk to us. Well, you know, knowing that we would be talking about smartphone ink today, I started. I was thinking about economic games, and I know, right? The the overall theme for this for this round, right, is virtual, the virtual gaming, right? Or so I thought about, like, you know, one thing I really enjoy in games, and what I've enjoyed in smartphone ink and other games is the ability to create virtual economies. I don't know for I for some reason I find that to be a very fascinating thing, that um, that these chits and pieces or whatever that have no value can suddenly, um, the, their value can suddenly grow and fluctuate based on what players do. And um, that got me thinking about economic games and economic games that I've loved in the past. And I started thinking about why do I love them and what are the aspects and what makes something an economic game. So I thought that'd be a fun thing for us all to explore and, you know, and also give some great recommendations for economic games for people out there who are maybe a little daunted by the idea or who, or who may even think it's a dry topic. hundred <laughs> percent. It's it, it, listen, it is as far as a game genre goes, it's one of my absolute favorites. So many of the, uh, of my top games are economic games uh, from Age of Steam to Brass. I mean, most of Martin Wallace, actually. Martin Wallace has got uh, uh, games that are not heavily 
um, economic in nature, but uh, those are sort of my second tier Martin Wallace games. My top tier are. So how are we defining economic games? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, first of all, the, the strict economic game is a game in which the money that you have or the cash on hand at the end of the game, uh, including stocks sold back to the company, are your victory points. If you, the if the sole arbiter of who wins the game is how much money you have at the end of the game, you might be an economic <laughs> you might be an economic game player, <laughs> right? That uh, so uh, smartphone Inc is a bit more of a hybrid, but clearly the theme of the game is you are building up a uh, a smartphone. You know, you're building up a uh, telecom company. And trying to take it global, essentially, is what is what you're yeah, doing. Yeah, servicing markets. Yeah, precisely right. So even though there is other scoring besides that, still the majority of your scoring in the game is is economically derived. Sure, but like how about Age of Steam, where your end game score is not money at all? Oh yes, it is. No, it, it isn't. It's 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 uh, or I guess is it? Like Are you a, kidding me? Of course it is. It's it's income. It's only income, theoretically. Like like the money in hand doesn't mean anything. No, but but it's uh, that's the equivalent of that's the equivalent of shares in in something else. You've built this company up to this point. This is its this is its recurring revenue. Okay, sure, I get. And and then like the tracks would be what its assets are. Yes. I suppose. Yes. Yeah. But but your it's, locomotive means nothing. What? But your locomotive means nothing. Like you know, it, No, it does. It's a drag. N- not at the end. What? No, that's right. It's 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 not it's not worth anything, but it doesn't cost anything. That that's a little that's a little weird. But you do subtract the share price from the revenue, right? Because sure, sure, the yeah. right, yeah. I I think it sure, absolutely sure sure okay, absolutely is. Um, yeah. So so uh, games in which money is the scoreboard are economic games. Games that yeah. uh, that that is the focus of the game, even if the end scoreboard is only partially money. Is uh, could also be very much an economic game. Um, there are very light, simple games that are economic games. Um, one of my favorite games in the world, uh, Modern Art, is the Reiner Knizia classic yes. bidding game. It is just a very simple bidding game for sale. A bidding game, money yeah. is sure, sure. the is the scoreboard. Mo- yeah, Modern right. Art is a great example because. That is because what I like about modern art is it's not just, okay, it's bidding because you could maybe make an argument that a lot of auction games, you start out with money and you try to grow your money through the auctions. Right. And so technically that's an that's an economy via auctions. Right. But modern art, what I think differentiates it a little bit is the idea of this. There's like a lot of psychology in that game of like what what paintings have value and really none of the paintings have any inherent value. But as 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 we play them and as you bid on them, um, they, they start to gain value. And then especially when you look at which ones were hot one round versus another, it's to me, there's like, I have tried so hard to try to parse out like the logic, the psychology of that game. And I can't, it's such a tangle, <laughs> Well, but the- it is also, but it's a great textbook example of how like, um, perception can fuel value and that value can then fuel your economy. Yeah, market psychology is what that game is entirely about. In the first round of the game, you have a hand of cards. Those cards are works of art by five different artists. You are going to have to put those cards up for bid and for auction, and somebody is going to win that. If you win that, that other player pays you that money. 
if you win that, the money goes out of the game. Um, at the end of the round, whoever, whichever painter sold the most paintings, those paintings pay off big time. And so mm-hmm. on and so forth, the, the top three pay. But not only that, there are these tokens that go on the board to indicate that in the next round, the second round, and then the third round of the game, those paintings, the paintings of the first place uh, painter, second place painter, third place painter, I'm not talking about players now, I'm talking about the artists Mm -hmm. of the cards that you hold, those are inherently worth more. They are immediately worth plus 30, plus 20, and plus 10, but only if they end up win placing and showing in the next round as well. So it is a real, it's a really, really interesting and, and fickle, <laughs> fickle uh, right. market, right? And yeah, and exactly. And you have to decide, um, do I care about buying a really hot or a potentially hot artist cheap and then selling it high later on? Or do I care more about, I don't care about buying the art. I just know I want to sell this stuff and get the most money because I know people will want this artist, but then we'll, but then, this, oh, I've got this one piece of art that is like, this is going to be the hot artist, but then the round goes by, and then, wait, there's another artist who looks like they'll be the hot artist. So everything is changing, and mm-hmm. the fact that the players can't, the, and it's all because of the players, and the fact that players can all do this and create this changing state of market psychology, um, and trying to figure out your role in it, of whether you want to be the buyer or the seller, or maybe a little bit of both, mm-hmm. and knowing when to sell low and went or no when to buy low and when to sell high all that stuff in such a simple game is like brilliant i actually think modern art is is a game that like i think also should be a collection essential for most people was it in your top 20 um it was uh i think it might have been or it was or it was on the edge it was in mine it was in mine I, one of the things is that it teaches you so much about economic games and about bidding because each card not only has a work of art on it, but it also tells you what type of bidding you have to do. So there's in the fist blind bidding. There is once around bidding. There is open bidding. And it sort of teaches you all the different ways that games for the next 20 years would handle bidding. And you learn them all in one setting. What I've noticed is, is that the first couple times I play uh, modern art with somebody, they tend to think that the way to win the game is to buy the best works of art that are going to sell for the highest price. And when you play a game with that sort of person, all you want to do is sell the piece of art that the people are going to irrationally bid up because you are going to win without having a, they're going to look at you and say, how could you possibly be winning when you don't have any, you, you bought almost nothing. You bought one mm-hmm. work of art this entire round. How is it that you won? And you're like, well, it's almost a closed economy. The game is almost a closed economy, when, uh, which means when I buy a painting, the money goes to you. When you then buy a painting, the money goes to so-and-so and so on and so forth. So the money doesn't, it is neither created nor destroyed. It yeah. is only redistributed. Uh, yeah. And it's not quite a closed economy. There are some games that are absolutely a closed economy, and those are absolutely fascinating. Like It reminds me of the estates. Yeah. The estates is yeah. a closed economy. Yes. Yeah. It, it's, it's interesting because like, you know, uh, when I think of economic games, I think of the estates because I feel like playing the estates and getting quote unquote good at it ultimately is what made me better at age of steam and and greed you, you think you got good at that i think i got better than you <laughs> <laughs> but like you know ultimately like you know 
for me, economic games are just about value manipulation. Right? Yes. You know, it's all like, you know, however mechanism, whatever mechanism you use, it's basically trying to take something of lower value and making it of higher value and uh, reaping the difference, the delta. Uh, and I feel like, you know, for all of it, bidding really helps. Uh, like, Age of Steam is the worst and best game for me because of that. Because, like, if it took me about 10 years, like 10, a decade, to get the rhythm of Age of Steam. And it's always because part of Age of Steam is, like, taking shares. You're going into debt not only to uh, build your track, but you're paying rent. Yeah, you, you got you got to calculate your rent for it too. For and you got to do this successfully for like half the game. <laughs> which which Ben keeps taking emergency shares when we play the game with him because yeah. his rent calculation is always just a little off. And so, uh, and once, <laughs> it's by a dollar, by a dollar, yes. there is like there, yes, uh, <laughs> every single time. And once I just go, okay, I got to calculate my rent into this as well. Yep. You know, I go, oh, I can really not put the emotional burden on my heart as I make these bids. Like, and I could value <laughs> things correctly. Like, yeah. you know, and I think that's the other thing about uh, economic games that really, it's interesting to me, is like the emotional stake, that irrational emotional stake that you put onto these things because it's money. Mm. You know, it, like it, it's... I don't, I'm not a person who can divorce, you know, strict play and money, you know, the here's, here's, here's the game theory way to play, but I, I, it's so much money. I don't have any more money. Please don't take it. Like, you know, I, I can't, I, I don't, I'm not that robotic. I should be, but I'm not, but there's you know, also not like, there's also something, I think the best economic games are very dynamic, right? Because you're right. I mean, it is about, you know, you're, you know, you're growing your money. Um, and a lot of times you're growing your money because you have to identify usually supply and demand issues, right? And Absolutely. so, and we see that in modern art, right? At Tom, your example was, was, was like, okay, there's a demand for this thing. So I am going to supply these paintings and people are going to give me all this money for it. Um, and I think in the estates, which sadly I've only played the estates once and it like sits behind my shoulder right here. And it's like every time I do like a video podcast, it's right over my shoulder every single time. And I see it and I'm like, I want to play this more. But that too, I mean, you are by you are by changing the values of things, you are then going to have an effect on supply and demand. Like how much do people want in the estates? Uh, how much do people want to invest in this row? Right. Yep. Given yeah. given how this looks. Right. And so now the demand for that row has gone up, which means that then you can now get more for an auction. Right. So so that's the 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 fact that like everything is sort of in flux and having to navigate that and manipulate that uh, is really, really fun to me. I, I will, I'm going to throw another thing in here. Economic games are. Not games we think of as gateway games, but they're actually surprisingly good gateway games because everybody yes. thinks they understand it, right? They think sure. in, in modern art, people think they understand it. Oh, I'm just going to, all I have to do is figure out which painting is going to self, is going to be the number one artist and buy those paintings. That's all I have to do. They're not calculating that, oh, they're paying 80% of the total value that that painting could possibly be. So they're, they're looking at a limited thing, whereas somebody is getting 80% of that money and if they're doing the right thing, right? So, so people think they understand money and then they find out that they don't and they learn something from that. And the next time they play, they understand money a little bit better. Pipeline, I played with my family, uh, my, my brother's uh, family up in Tahoe when we, when we visited them before the world fell apart. And I was surprised 
my wife, his wife, his daughter, my son, everybody loved Pipeline. And I'm not surprised that they love Pipeline. I think Pipeline is, I, I'll say that, I'll say it right now. I probably would prefer to play Pipeline than even Barrage right now of the games of 2019. It's wow. pr- it's probably just uh, I understand how amazing Barrage is, but Pipeline warms my heart in a very special way right now. I absolutely love it. They got it. They got it. They said, "Okay, so I'm yeah. I'm doing this little puzzle piece thing to be able to convert oil into higher grades of oil, which equals more money. And at the end of the game, it's worth money. It's just money. Most money wins. Nobody needs to understand, you know, these victory points are scored this way versus these. You know, the, the Steffen Feld yeah. kills new gamers, but by, by right. it all being boiled down to money, uh, almost everybody I mean, Pipeline like is basically just buy low, sell high. That's essentially what the game is, right? You buy this oil, you process it, and you sell it high. And it's interesting because that's a game where um, the market is kind of fixed. They said these are the prices. You know, you're not. They're not. The 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 market changes can change as things fill in. So that's where it becomes dynamic. But essentially, now the focus in that I feel like the focus. And I, again, I've only played Pipeline once, and it also kills me. I've only played it once. But from my experience with it, it feels like the focus is like, how am I going to improve my product? Because there is a demand. How am I going to improve my product so that um, I can now like sell it like gangbusters out there and and make more money than everyone else? Well, it's it's a which game. is like another component of an economic game is like dealing with the actual thing that you're producing itself. It's actually a game of structural obstacles to profit, which is okay. inter- which is interesting. You need to buy more tanks to store the oil because you can't hold the oil so that you can further refine it later on. You need to buy a machine so that the machine can automate the process of refining that oil because mm-hmm. you need to yeah, use your guy right. to take a different action. You need to have you need to extend your silver pipeline more because you're not going to be able to refine past the medium grade oil because it requires a sixth yeah. length to do that. Um, a lot of economic games do this, by the way. Uh, 18xx uh, is in large part about structural challenges to profitability, right? It's about I need to I need to connect to this city now, and I need to get a better train, but I need to save the money to get the better train. So I have to hurt my stock portfolio in order to plow, in order to save all of the money uh, that the company should be paying out so that I can buy the better train so that I can jump in income and so on and so forth. Uh, And I think that's also something people understand, right? Everybody, everybody who works for, for a living knows that there are frustrations and challenges that they have to overcome. And so there's something wonderful about being able to simulate that in a game and to feel that success. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, I'm so glad you said about pipeline because I did sort of forget those components, those those, um, those aspects of it. And it reminds me of like there really is so much fun stuff in that game. And um, and, and that's and that is a part of an economic pipeline is an economic game in a way that the smaller games aren't because it's not just about, OK, trying to figure out what the market is for trying out the supply and demand and then like taking that money and funneling it into the next auction or whatever with something like pipeline or I would even argue Arkwright. Which I absolutely love. I know you have. I know you have an issue with Arkwright, but in, just in terms of it as an economic game, I feel like Arkwright is really about. Okay, uh, I'm. I need to get 
I need to maintain a really impactful market share, mm-hmm. and uh, I need to make. And it's all about trying to maximize your margins and maintaining that market share, right? You're trying to build this infrastructure. You got to hire people. You got to automate them, much like with pipeline. You got to get the tanks. You got to automate your pipes. You got to get better pipes. You got to get better factories in arc, right? And you're trying to do all these things. You got to advertise, etc., to like drive that bottom line. So that way, but at the same time, you have to make sh- you have to price everything right because. If you if you do all this stuff but you don't have good market share, you're not gonna get the profits to pay for all this stuff. So that's where then these economic games go to the next level, which is like it's not just about supply and demand. It's supply and it's using supply and demand to feed your 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 company so that way it can further exploit supply and demand and it's this this crazy cycle, which is very exciting. To be clear, I almost love Arkwright. <laughs> I know. I know. I don't. I don't. I don't, I don't, I, yes, dis- I don't dislike yes. the game, and I would play it again in a heartbeat. But I think that there's an issue, uh, which we don't have time to get into now. Paul, when when we talk yeah. economic games that that sing to your heart, w- where do you go? Well, you know, I, I, my top three are uh, Age of Steam, uh, Greed Inc., Green States. Why don't you talk about Greed Incorporated? Because we haven't talked about that. Splatter is another so martin wallace and splatter are two uh, game designers that have a real affinity for amazing economic games splatter has greed incorporated which is the least known of them i would also say indonesia is an incredible and and food chain magnet and food chain magnet probably is the monopoly of of the hobby in terms of an iconic classic it mean, brutal. It hits all game. of these elements that we're talking about. Yes, yeah. but it's talk inc- about Green Incorporated. Well, you know, there's nothing really to talk about aside from like it's basically a stock market game, right? Like you're buying, you're buying not commodities really. It's it's, it's more commodities than stocks. So you're basically buying stuff. Things are happening, and you're selling stuff. Like, and the gist of it is ultimately like when and how and how people are going to cock block you. You know, <laughs> and ultimately this is this is the other thing that I really like like about economic games. It's the social aspect. Yeah. It's like ultimately, mm-hmm. like, because it's money, you're not, unlike, say, Agricola, mm-hmm. where you're just, oh, I'm building my little farm. Oh, here's, you know, here's my cow. Here's, my, you know, like, and, oh, I just happen to have the best farm. Oh, look, I won again. I'm Trey. Um, right. Aside from just, <laughs> <laughs> just that, like, you know, you are actively trying to knife everyone in a good economic game because, like, you know, that's the metric. The metric is capitalism for for lack of a better way yep. and so it really combines this aspect of math and psychology mm-hmm. in a way that really speaks to me because I, I you know I, i'm i really don't care about you know winning mm-hmm. i really care about beating everyone <laughs> taking victory from other people that's what i care about so <laughs> so like economic games really does that in a way that really hits my uh, neurotransmitter. So here's the trick to Greed Incorporated. Greed Incorporated basically says that all stock market games are wrong because stock market games are about making the best company that you can and having its stock price rise. And that's not the real world. And they said, we're going to take a page from 18xx and we're going to separate... Well, we're a world from real life. <laughs> well, and from real life. <laughs> No, but I'm saying their design choice yeah, yeah, yeah. was to say there is a difference between your money and the company's money. So when you are running a company, you are building that company up to a certain point. But the goal in greed is to 
raid the coffers of your own company. So basically build the company up as high as you can and then time it right when you are going to crash the company's value, take the golden parachute and get out. And the only thing that is worth points at the end of the game And I mean, the only thing are these executive perks that you can bid on with your personal cash at the end of each round. You can buy the the Gulfstream jet and the, you know, the the personal valet and the island and 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 all that sort of stuff. And that's the only thing. It's it's this classic bait and switch because the whole design of the game is is that implies one thing. Exactly. Exactly. Basically, whoever dies with the most toys wins. And it's dark. (laughs) You know, it, like, you know, the, well, that's fun. Yeah. Go on, Ben. Like, uh, no, I'm just saying, I mean, but that, I mean, still, though, the fact of how you get there, though, is fun. And what's cool about that was, I mean, I've never played Greed Inc., but I like, again, what we talked about before. It sounds like there's some good satire in that game. Tons. Um, as, by the way, and by the way, with modern art, there's also, I feel like the whole game is kind of a satire on the art world. Right? Oh, yeah. Right? Because, you know, the entire game is a satire, which is kind of brilliant. But, um, but no, but I, but that's, I, I, I totally agree with your point um, that the, uh, the, the social aspect is is really really strong in these games and how if you were playing a Euro game and I love me a Euro game that's you know like like an Agricola where I'm building my own little thing I love that but that's one style of game and then I th- and and the thing is that these games which are often viewed as these dry boring games and they don't have elves and wizards in them <laughs> they provide really rich at least not that i know of sorry they, they have these really rich um social experiences and i i don't care about economics in the real world i don't follow <laughs> i don't follow any of that but in terms of gaming i think it's just i think it's a very very fascinating thing to to be able to manipulate etc um i recently played I played Automobile for the first time this past weekend, which I mentioned earlier in the episode, by Martin Wallace. Not to be confused with Automobiles, which is actually a very fun little bag builder. But um, Automobile, never played it before. I loved it. I thought that was great. I think it, I, I, that game, I think, deserves a proper deluxification re-release with much better art, um, even though it did have a deluxe like nine years ago. But that was an interesting game because in that game... Um, the prices for the cars that you're selling are mainly fixed. Um, supply is a little, is a little bit more dynamic, but you have no idea what the demand is and, and taking, stripping that part out, which is, it's sort of like, uh, like if smartphone, you don't know what the pricing is going to be for everything. Automobile is saying, Hey, you just don't know how much you you need to to make. Well, you have an idea. I love that. You have an idea of what demand is, right? You, you, you know, uh, you, you know, a ballpark, but how far you want to push into that ballpark, how much you want to commit to your bet as to which way the market is going to go is, is the interesting thing. And also what I liked about automobile, and this is another thing I enjoy about economic games. I'm, I'm fascinated by how game mechanics can simulate or create economic, um, elements. So in, uh, in automobile, there's this crazy track that's like on the board. There's like, it almost looks like a monopoly board. There's, but instead of, you know, you know, uh, lots, you have cars. And so you have a basic car like that, like a bit like two wheels that are spokes. And then the very end of the track is like a very fancy Lincoln or something. And so uh, you can each car model is like if you if you invest in that car, if you build a factory on that car model, you're saying, hey, I'm making this car. 
and that car, you know, and when you make that car, if you're the first, if you're the furthest along that track, you are going to sell your cars first, sort of like with smartphone, if you have the lowest price. But the thing is, when you make, when you open up that factory, you make it easier for reasons I'm not going to get into, but you make it easier for someone to then build, open up a factory in the car one step ahead of you. Mm. (laughs) So by you are, are, by opening up these factories, you get to go first if you're farther along because you essentially have the newest, fanciest new model, but you make it easier for other people to innovate and push you back. And I thought that was such a great expression of, of what happens in marketplaces. I thought that was brilliant. Yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, okay. Um, I want to say one more thing, which is sort of drafting on what Paul was saying. Paul was talking about uh, the... Um, the feeling of playing an economic game being different. I I think it's totally, I think it's a really important point because if you make a play and, oh, I wanted to take that, you just cost me two victory points. Uh, It it doesn't hit me emotionally. You just took 10 bucks out of my pocket. (laughs) You just cost Mm. my company $20,000. There is something yeah. about that that has more punch to it. It 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 hits. It's visceral, um, which is why yes. you know a lot of my favorite games are that type of thing where we are battling it out and we're trying to you know we're, we're trying to end stage capitalism, beat the hell out of the, uh, the the next guy because there can be only one. But I will say there is one other type of economic game that I want to mention, and that is trading games, uh, hmm. traders of Genoa or now I think it's just called Genoa, is an amazing game. And I love to play this. I've played it with my kids. I, I love to play it with, with uh, different groups of people sometimes because what invariably happens when you start playing that game, first of all, it's an economic game. Money is the victory points at the end of the game. You're going to get points based on everything is worth a certain amount of money. And and you're trading things for things, and it's never quite clear how much something is worth because we don't know. In order to for this to be worth sixty, you have to do A and B, and I don't know if you've done A or B yet, right? And so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the process, when I play this with with my son, for instance, or with with people like that, he will be like, "Oh well, I'm not. No, no deal, no deal. I, I, I'm only going to want. I'm only going to trade. I don't want to be." hoodwinked, right? I only want to trade when it's a clear benefit for me, when I'm definitely getting the better part of this deal. And because there's things I don't know about it, it makes me more reluctant to trade. It's the whole uh, fallacy of we will do so much more to avoid pain than we will do to gain pleasure, right? That we that that we're we're sort of in a no headspace as far as money and 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 this and that sort of thing goes. Yes. Well, in this game, I said to I said to him I say to people all the time when I play this game I said I will make a trade with almost anybody almost any time I will make a trade if a trade is two thirds beneficial to you one third beneficial to me I want to tell you that I will likely take that trade and I'm willing to do that and because of that I trade and trade and trade and trade and trade throughout the game and then at the end of the game who ends up winning I end up winning and I show them, I'm like, because here's what happened. You only made trades where you got two thirds of the benefit. I made 10 times as many trades as you did getting one third of the benefit each and every time I did that. That's Mm. what it's about. It is about a generosity 
in the game is, is kind of what it mm-hmm. is. And I love the fact that there are economic games that can teach that, that can kind of go the other way and be games where it is trying to teach you to, you know, to free up those, the purse strings a little bit more, to be a, a little more generous, yep. to sort of get in there and play. Catan kind of does that too. It's not strictly... I was just going to say, not, yeah. Not really, an econ- not really an economic <laughs> game, but the people that trade more are the people that do better, Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, that, that's sort of one of the great things about Catan is it has a lot of elements that we see expanded upon in other games, uh, but they're all kind of there in Catan, and uh, and that's a hundred percent one of them. I mean, how important is this sheep to you? You know, like one round, it's like okay, I'll give you, uh, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you three bricks for that one sheep, and that then the next round comes around, it's like mm, I'm only gonna <laughs> give you one brick now. Like the value went down. So true. By the way, never give three bricks for a sheep. Never. But either true. way, like um, you, you could probably make an argument for Bonanza. Uh, Pit is a classic oh, game yeah. that's really just all about that. Oh which yeah. I've actually never played. But um, uh, Sidereal Conflict Confluence. I mean, I've never yep. played that, but it sounds like that one's all about that. A hundred percent. Very much so. Very much so. Um, I th- and I also wanted to say. Um, you know, you mentioned 18xx. I mean, 18xx games, which I have very little experience with, but they seem like they are like the 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 real like the big ben. daddies in the <laughs> in the economic <laughs> space. But um, the uh, my the closest I've really gone to 18xx, except for the 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 little play we did of 1862, is the City of Big Shoulders, which I also mentioned, yes. which takes um, some of that. And what I like about the stock games is, in the case of City of Big Shoulders, okay, yes. You are focusing on building your infrastructure, and yes, there are demand tiles, and yes, you're providing supply, uh, which is all fun. But really, I feel like the, the the most fun, most interesting part of the game is buying the stocks because you're kind of speculating on the other players now, and that's a really fun aspect too. Like that's what a fun mechanic to say. Okay, we're all playing our games, we're all doing our thing. But not only we're doing our things, but you're kind of like betting on how the other players are going to do in the game. And like that is a really cool twist on board gaming. I love it when a game puts me in a situation where I'm rooting for another player. It's pretty rare to happen in Mm -hmm. non-economic games. But in economic games, sometimes that's going to be what comes to pass. And I'm like, hey, you know what? Maybe you should run the train this way instead of that way. Because, hey, I'm I'm the second biggest shareholder in your company. I'm like... Go B and O. Go B and O. I love that. And that's when you have shared infrastructure games like with Age of Steam or Rail is the World or uh, Wildcatters is one that I that yep. I enjoy or Panamax. It's fun when it's uh, if there's there's something fun about something, especially with Panamax. Like, hey, use my ship, put your die on my ship because I'll get to, I'll be able to move my ship this many spaces and then I'll be able to get us all the way to the end. You know, like mm. moments like that. Are, are really exciting gaming moments uh, and and again it was super interactive super fun and create and when it, and when you have moments like that there's usually going to be joking that comes around it and then the entire experience is usually lifted by it it's so interesting because like once again we could come back to this theme of like we're so different because i i have the more gore vidal uh perspective of like is not enough that i win it is that my friends must lose. <laughs> so, so trading games don't work out very well for me. <laughs> See, I, I love, so which one I, of us is William F. Buckley? Well, I'm both sides, right? I, I love Age of Steam. You heard me last week just, just waxing nostalgic about how amazing that game is and the more brutal the better. Uh, but I'm also a guy that loves Genoa and I love a game that, that preaches generosity and 
uh, and subverts the expectation. I really do like that. Mm-hmm. Ben, thank you so much. Yeah. This was a, a, We could talk about this topic probably for six episodes in a row. And yeah. uh, let's, let's reserve this as, we- as a topic to come back to for us. I, I was just wondering, can we just real quickly just list uh, a few games, uh, a few economic games that we really like that we think people should, uh, if they want to explore economic games, they should get involved with? Maybe games we haven't mentioned already? 100%. 100%. All right. Uh, Indonesia. We didn't talk about Indonesia, but when you, the first time you merge a company in Indonesia and people are bidding on it and trying to figure out what the heck they're bidding on, you realize this is throwing people into the deepest, deepest end of, uh, of an economic game. So Indonesia, that's my yeah, uh, I would say brass oh. uh, because either brass because that's really a study in supply and demand. You're you have to you're constantly uh, like looking at the board and saying, okay, what what does this board state need right now and how can I supply it? So I think that's a really fascinating game. It's also just an excellent game, and also um, a game that's uh, maybe not necessarily economic but has a really strong economic mechanism, uh, Navigador. Um, Mm -hmm, which mm -hmm. uh, basically has this really fun um, fluctuating market that was then adapted into Clans of Caledonia uh, where, you know, um, you know, sugar, sugar prices are go up and like you, you sort of decide, am I going to be on the manufacturing side or the supply side of this chain? And, and like when you're going to process that stuff, like if you are, if you have a sugar factory, when you're going to process the sugars depend on when the sugar seller is up and you're down and all this stuff. And so you're trying to do something much larger in the game, but this market is what's going to give you that, that power to do it. And it again, creates a very, very interactive, um, thing in the middle of what could have been just a, a dry Rondell game. Uh, that's a super fun game. So I think those two would be my, my two, other recommendations for economic games. I think that's fantastic. I think that's really great. Paul, anything that, uh, that that comes to mind for you that you would love to do? I, once again, will just go back to the estates because like, I think it's underrated. I think it really will teach you how to be good at almost every other game uh, that's economic because of how vicious it is. And if you don't like a mean game, then this is not for you, but like, I think, (laughs) but it it is, it is very, especially if you play five player, like, you know, the valuation of, you know, how much a, a a company is worth when to remove money from the closed economy to put into your own special little bank account. All those choices are really good. And I think they really, they they really prime your brain to, to think about money in a certain way that I think will help you with economic games. Agreed. Agreed. And and I think most of us would probably agree that if we had to say, what is the absolute best economic game out right now? If you just had to say there's shoots one that, that's, that's above all the others. Shoots and ladders, obviously. Um, Food chain magnate, I think, is, is it, it ticks so many, so many boxes. It kind of does. It, it's so, it's it so kinda, deep. I mean, I personally love Arkwright the most, but I kind of, I think you're, I think you're probably right. Food chain magnate just kind of gets all of it together. And I have one last little hot take to make before we move on to the next segment. Cause I was going to like, I was like, I'm not gonna do this hot take. And then I'm, I was like, <laughs> I, I have to make my hot take. Do it. Do it. But it has to do with smartphone ink. And I wasn't going to, I was, I was going to sit in the review. I was like, nah, nah. And then when you mentioned how economic games are surprisingly accessible, I actually think that smartphone ink could be a Kenner spiel. The Yaris, Jars, uh, nominee because i actually don't think the rules overhead is that difficult and i think it's a really accessible game for um uh you know accessible plus 
yes. for uh, learning economics. Not a hot take at all. I think, uh, like we said, I said that economic games are surprisingly accessible to non-gamers. Uh, I do think that you could play uh, Smartphone Inc. You, it teaches like a light medium, and it plays medium hard. And that is a Absolutely. wonderful thing, right? Absolutely. It probably could also play as hard as you want it to be. If you want, if you have a bunch of people who are relatively new, it doesn't have to be necessarily as cutthroat as maybe how we play it. And so, yeah, I think it could totally be a contender for next year. Yeah, and here's the thing: non gamers or or next to non gamers are surprising. You never know how they're going to come into a game. Sometimes they jump into the deep end, and they are the most cutthroat people I've ever uh, I've ever played with. And you never know quite what you're going to get. Right? They're like a box of yeah. chocolates. Um, <laughs> moving on, we did not do a game sommelier last week. We are over time, but I can't go two weeks without doing a game sommelier. Would you guys mind if we if we jumped in and did one? Course, we got a pretty sure, good one this sure, week. Sure, sure. All right, let's do it. Sometimes a player just got to know which game should stay, which game should go, which to play with mama, madame, abu. You got to tell me, monsieur, just what to do. Want to make an impression, but I can't get far. As my 50th player of Agricola, a million games. Show me the way to the master, the game sommelier. Here we go. We got a uh, guy named uh, uh, Brennan uh, Gantner wrote us a little message. It said, my friend's house burned down and he lost his board game collection of more than 75 games. Being that he has to start over, we're going to alternate between us one game per month to add to a joint collection. Previous most played games were Concordia, Illuminati, Food Chain Magnate, Imperial 2300, or, or 2030 rather, Codenames, Tobago, Warpgate, and Space Cadets. Which is an interesting combination, right? It's all over the place. It is, kind of. We are working out yeah. a, a map for the next 12 months of purchases and trying to find the most versatile titles that are currently available. No super expensive things, no Kickstarters. Uh, we have to pick titles that will keep the two of us happy, priority number one. will be good for new players to join for a single game night. will play with non-gaming spouses and can fit a wide range of player counts. Current top three are Concordia, Root, and Diamant. Once again, very, very different, right? Crazy. Mm. So, starting a collection from scratch, where would you go? Here we go. Okay. So, uh, I'll, start, I'll start off, you know, right away and say there are some things that, you know, utility players that I would put in any collection. I think Ricochet Robots I would put in any collection, right you can play you can play it with non-gaming spouses you could play it with new people it fits any player count whatsoever so it's just it's the swiss army knife of of games you can play that with anybody and it's pretty great uh teach you if you're for couples games uh, it's 10 bucks it could not be cheaper throw that into the collection as a as a bonus one of the months that somebody's buying that Uh, i would say that for sure Uh, a third thing i'll say is everdell uh, Everdell is, it seems to be, you know, some of your games are heavy. Some of your games are light. This is kind of in the, in the middle. And, uh, I, I think is, is kind of a delight for non-gamers and gamers alike. So I'll start with those three. Anybody, uh, uh suggestions? Uh, let's see. I would, you know, for the, you know, uh, for the new gamers, uh, part of your requirement, I would say quartermaster general. Ah, Yeah. A lot of different player, a uh, lot of different player counts. I mean, you kind of have to buy it toward one player count. Yeah, it's it's six, but like you can play two and two. You know, like, yeah, the, the way that I would describe it is like you, uh, 
there are only two dis- which card right that which card to play so it's yeah it, it's really reductive to the point where it's fun you're making choices but you know at the same time it's uh accessible to people um i suppose Tricarion? like you know you, your your list seems to be pretty you know huh. wide yeah and, and so like Tricarion, i think you know would be in the uh uche magnet category yeah. yeah 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 for sure ben what about you um, uh, I think if you're looking in terms of, uh, games that will be fun for you guys, but also fun for, um, newbies too, or, or not newbies, but like non, non players. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I have had actually great luck with Medici, which is a classic, um, bidding game from Reiner Knizia. That's super fun. That's a game I'm able to play with my boyfriend and he's really not much, but he does not really, uh, not, he doesn't really do many games. So Medici is really great. Um, or Medici, however you want to say it. Um, uh, here's an interesting one that's uh, that kind of almost doesn't get a lot of love. K2 is a really, really fun game. And um, another one that, that I've played with people who've never played games before. They really enjoy it. It's a fun game, especially if you play on the hard side. When you play on the hard side, it's really, really fun. Um, a game recently that I've been playing a lot of. God, I can't believe how much I've played this game. Um, on the Underground it's just it's it's just a very versatile game and it's it's you can you can play with people who are um sharks and it's just like it's like a little bit of a it's it can get real vicious you can play a very casual game you're like just putting down your subway lines it's really easy that's a great one ben castles of burgundy is is a classic and uh i would say decrypto and wingspan there you go ben do you get a percentage of all uh on the underground sales (laughs) <laughs> you know, I, I wish at this point. I mean, uh, I, I'm shocked at how many of these lists it just works with. I mean, I, I am actually really shocked by this game and how much I've played it. Um, I'm shocked how it's, it holds up. It's, it's crazy, actually. All right. You have to play Dune with me. You have to play Indonesia with me. You have to play Pipeline with yes. me. I need to play on the underground with you because I've never played it. It's, it's it's really fun. I also would like to play Maria, too. That's on my wall of shame. Last two I'm going to say, or last three I'm going to say, I'm going to talk classics, okay? Old classic, El Grande. Area control, super easy to learn. Anybody can play it. I think you'll absolutely love it. Uh, mid-range classic is Agricola. I still think it's just one of the greatest games ever. And because mm-hmm. of the farmyard theme, you can play it with relative non-gamers. You could play it with couples and they can get into it. And yeah. then Terraforming Mars, I think, in, in the last few years, is, the, is there any other game that is that much of a classic that can kind of bring in people to the, to the heavier side of the hobby because they get the theme and they get, the, they get what the game is? I would say that. Like for me, like yeah, my, my next two, yeah. if, if we're doing that, sure, w- would be uh, smartphone ink because I think we've been talking about it and and it's going to come out this year, yeah. theoretically. So yeah. if you can get it, you get another one that I think would be great. Jaws. Jaws is fantastic. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, Jaws is a great game to to have. I totally agree, guys. I think that's a barrage. Barrage. Yeah, man. I well, gotta put in. I gotta put. I gotta be a, be a voice for. But you know, the thing is, that might be a little bit more on the expensive side. But if you get it at a good price, it's like an instant buy. There you go, gentlemen. A pleasure as always. When I when I knew I was going to be talking to uh, uh, to Ben, I knew we were going to have a great episode. When I found out that he was bringing Paul on with him, I wasn't quite as sure. Uh, mm. uh, just to be clear, Tom goes. I don't think I feel this this one, guys. I don't feel it. <laughs> <laughs> 
I thought you were going to say when when I knew I'd be talking to Ben, I knew I'd have a long episode. We are long. We are long. And because of that, we're going to move right on. People, we have a YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash the C forward slash Game Brain Pod. We have a Facebook group, a Discord channel. Please get in those Game Somalia questions. We got a good Somalia questions coming up. I look forward to them, but we could always use more. And just know that you have been listening to Game Brain, produced and edited by Matthew Robinson and Tom Donnelly. Special thanks to Daedalus for our incredible music. Alfred, having a great time playing Kanban with you. More on Daedalus at GameBrainPod.com and check out his brand new album. You can also reach us by email at contact at GameBrainPod.com or on Twitter at GameBrain underscore pod. Thanks for listening and go play some games with friends or virtually make some friends with games.